Renee Quigley, and you're listening to Scream Queen with a C. Again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 63. Yeah, I know, 64 came out before 63. There's a completely logical explanation for all of this. Anyway, tonight, we're taking a trip through time, chasing down Jack the Ripper through modern-day, well, sort of modern-day San Francisco in the 1979 sci-fi Fantasy thriller, time after time. And then I'm putting listener Sean up against the wall because he dared to recommend to me the Aussie horror feed. And it just might put you off your lunch. There is a hell of a lot of show to get to, so I'm going to stop my yapping and get on with the promoting of other podcasts. Yahoo. Yahoo. Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo. All right, man, we really got to record a promo for this thing. Should we write a script for this? Ah, fuck it, man. We'll do it live. Hey, folks, this is El Goro. And this is the Cancer Man. And we are the hosts of Talk Without Rhythm. The only podcast that will not attract the worm. That really doesn't explain what we do. Well, we watch two movies a week, we review them, we bullshit, and sometimes we say something funny. Yeah, but most of the time we just piss people off. Well, the American film viewing public can't handle most of what we have to say. But if you think you can, you can find us on iTunes if you do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. You can also find us on our website, tworpodcast.blogspot.com, baby. Deuces. So, hello again, gorgeous people. Uh, first of all, I have a couple of things to apologize for. First of all, I am really sorry this episode is late. As I mentioned in the post on uh, Screamers, the fan page, and on the Facebook group page, this thing's got really heavy over here. Just a lot of stuff happened at once. Nothing particularly bad, just a lot at once. Uh, I mentioned before that my parents had sold our family home, and they've closed. And that's been a huge emotionally taxing thing more than I expected it to be and I'd gone to clear out some stuff of mine that was still in storage there and so we were picking and choosing some of the furniture they were getting rid of to you know to to usurp and everything and so we had to get a moving van you know we went in just to get a few things I'm like maybe we'll get this dresser and this bookcase all of a sudden we wind up with an entire moving van full of crap which is now all piled in my living room granted we'll get through it very fairly quickly I hope but still, this was really emotional. I had to go and say goodbye to my childhood home. And I'm walking around the rooms going goodbye. Goodbye, bedroom. Goodbye, living closet. Goodbye, pee-only toilet. We had a pee-only toilet. It couldn't handle any solids. My friends thought that was hilarious. Goodbye, pee-only toilet. <laughs> May that be poop in your future someday. So the big move of this stuff was yesterday. So Brad and I ran in the van, and you know, my dad got involved, and that's always, uh, 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 like, it took two hours longer than it should have. I would and everything went quickly. But, you know, we got this fucking hand truck, and there was more hoo-hawing around the hand truck. This guy got from the building here. One of our neighbors just all of a sudden came up and helped us. And he was amazing because he pretty much was like put the gigantic sofa on one arm and was like, let's go, boom, and ran up the stairs with it. Not quite, but 
But Bradford and my father were determined to hook stuff up to this hand truck to lug it up the free three flights of stairs. And this hand truck was just not cooperating. And the poor, this poor other guy, you know, they had gone up with something on the hand truck. And the poor guy comes down. He's like, you know, I could have been finished with this like half hour ago if they just let me take stuff up. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. Just, just this has been the day. I know it was really hot. But, you know, it's done. Everything's here. The cats are like, woo, stuff to climb on. Yeah, yeah, let's rip this up. <laughs> And all that. But on top of that, some of you might remember or heard about, I lost my phone. When we were going out to my parents to help start sorting stuff and things, maybe about a week or so before the big move, we took the Long Island Railroad out and my phone just disappeared. It was in my hand one minute. By the time we got to the house, it was not there. I left it on the railroad. So like three or four days went by. I filed a lost and found report with them and boom, they found it. I was thrilled. I'm like, yay. So I went in to the little office and I'm like, that's my phone. And the woman's like, well, okay, can you tell me anything about the phone? I'm like, well, when you turn it on, there'll be a horrendous picture of me in a really loud pink jacket. And she goes, uh-huh. And then she's turning it up. And she's like, well, you know, I just like there's so many people come in and they don't turn on this. They don't really run this. Oh my God, you weren't kidding. That is a pink jacket. I said, I know. And she was a, such a great sport. And I loved her so much. I was going to give a double Scream Queen of the Week out. I was going to give the Scream Queen of the Week to the person who turned in my phone, wherever you may be, and the lady who was so chipper about giving it back. Because that gave me faith in humanity. The next fucking day, I dropped it on Queens Boulevard, crossing the street, and it broke. It's in a protective case, but <laughs> by complete divine coincidence the case while it fell must have like flopped over a bit just a tiny little bit exposing one corner and that is exactly the corner where bam it landed in the screen went and now i've lost all my contacts yeah i got a new phone but they were like oh sorry we can't transfer your contacts because the screen is broken and you have a lock on it i'm like i'm gonna put a lock on your face I'm bereft. So for those of you friends, you know, like folks from Obscure 80s and stuff, if you think I have your phone number, I probably don't. Please send it to me again. You know where to find me. But between the, my parents moving, the phone, getting the phone back, losing the phone again, the stress with the people at Sprint, all this personal stuff from home that I can't go into here because Bradford will murder me. Isn't that right, Bradford? All right. That's right, he said. <laughs> But trust me, there's just been some stress here. It's all going to work out in the end. Everything's fine, but it was just a lot. So the show had to be late. Oh, and the other thing I have to apologize for, some of you contacted me in a panic. Because I released episode 64 last time, the Friday the 13th Part 5 episode, and everyone said, Patrick, is something the matter? Did I miss something? Because I didn't get episode 63. Now, I could do a couple of things here. I could just admit my mistake that I numbered the episode incorrectly and Bradford please and I would stand behind one of my rules of life a queen has the right to not be able to do basic math if he doesn't feel like it or I can make up an elaborate story about how this entire apartment has fallen into a time rift whoa and that episode was actually from the future and and this episode is actually also from the future because you know it's a time rift and if you don't understand what i'm talking about that's how time rips work 
If it's confusing and makes no sense, well, that's just the time rift. Yes! Bradford says yes, and if Bradford says yes, you have to agree with him or he'll kill you. He's on new meds. He don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> I'm crazy. He is crazy. I don't know if you heard that. And he's very disappointed, actually, because I'm going to play you an audio clip from the last show. Okay, here's the clip from last episode. Playing now. Listen closely. Virtually empty theater, but let me tell you something. In the days leading up to the release of this movie, I... Honey... Did you hear that? Bradford farted. Here, let me play that again for you, in case you missed it. In the days leading up to the release of this movie. I know, disgusting, right? But here's the thing. I didn't notice at the time. But playing it back just now, I realized that Bradford farted twice. Not once. Twice. Once here, of this movie. And once here. Honey. Bradford was laying on the bed behind me while I, ref while I was recording farted so loudly that I had to stop the tape and re recoup myself. And then I forgot to edit it out or make a joke about it. So there was just this random fart floating in episode 64. And he was very sad. He's like, I can't believe nobody called or wrote in about my big fart. I'm like, well, you know, I guess they're so used to hearing them from you by now that they're just not big news anymore, honey. It was a time riff. Yes, the fart came through the time rift. He's probably going to blame it on me. It was my fart from the future. I wish you could see what my hands do every time I say future. It's, it's very, it's very futuristic. They're waving like birds. Awesome birds. So uh, I know I've, I've talked to death about the Gaelic concert, the Gaelic chorus concert in Denver to death last time, but there are a few things I have to mention. First of all, I gave special mention to my friend Kevin Hodges from the Turtle Creek Corral in Texas, except I called him Kevin Sturges, who I don't know who that is. I don't know why I called him that. I said something really nice about him, and then gave that niceness to some mysterious person that doesn't actually exist. I also forgot to mention... My new friend is Steve Miller. I met Steve Miller from the Steve Miller Band, and he was so groovy. No, he's not from the Steve Miller Band. His name just happens to be Steve Miller. And he was a great companion for hanging out on street corners and being a terrible, terrible, terrible influence, and I loved every second of it. Okay, so I got to see some movies in the weeks since we last talked that are not really worth talking about in full length. First of all, I saw... This movie from the early 1970s that actually is first bunch. All of them are recommended to me by Justin and the crew over at the Hysteria Continues podcast. He's also the author of the highly touted The Slasher Movie book, which I talked about briefly while I was sitting in my ass helmet. By the way, my ass is now perfect. Thank you. Dr. Dr. McLovin said, that is one fine-looking ass. I said, that is inappropriate, and I am suing you. And he said, okay, but that's not the point right now. Anyway... They recommend but through the show or just through personal conversation. I watched three movies that they recommended. First one is Fright, which is from 1972, starring Susanna York, and um, it's about this babysitter who gets tormented by some escaped maniac while she's you know in this big spooky old house. Now I'd seen this when I was a kid. It ran on the 4:30 movie once or twice, and at the time it didn't affect me at all. But now as an adult, it's really suspenseful. This was really good. You could see the, the, it's got the Halloween 
the Halloween elements floating around in there, like a you know, forerunner of Halloween to a degree. But then it shifts in this whole other psycho direction, and it was really, really tense. And the wallpaper in every scene was really, really ugly. I was like, God, that's the God, that's this God, that is the ooh. Ooh, why would, who would, why would you, how could, ew! No wonder this guy went crazy. So I felt I'm on a roll with them. I'm like, that one was so good, I have to check out something else they recommended. So I checked out Evil Laugh, which was a slasher from the, it says from the late 80s, but it looks like it's early 80s to the mid 80s. I don't know. This was really stupid. It kind of knows it's stupid, but it, it stars Scott Bayo's less attractive brother. That's the big star poll. On this one. And it's a basic slasher movie. Like these medical students all rent a house. And it turns out the house has a murderous history. And somebody comes up and starts murdering them off. Now now first of all the acting is atrocious. The script is really ridiculous. The soundtrack is funny. These songs that. These pop songs that play are just so atrocious. There's a montage. The cleaning up the house montage. That went on for about 20 minutes. And it was so deliciously awful. That I did enjoy the hell out of it. But it's got this weird sense of humor. For instance there is a scene. Where two co- uh, this, this, these two medical students are about to get it on. And this guy's got an incredible body. And this girl is an enormous slut. Who actually was a porn star. This actress was a porn star. But that's not the part right now. They're getting it on. But before they get to the bed, you see before they come in the room, a, you hear this noise. And all of a sudden, a machete goes up through the mattress. And then disappears. Just as they come in. So basically, somebody's carved a hole into the bed. And they get on the bed and the clothes are coming off and it's bound chicken, bound chicken. And I'm like, okay, they're gonna get they're gonna get they're gonna get macheted. But then no. A hand comes up through the hole next to them. Slowly comes up through the hole and reaches over and then reaches down and grabs the guy on the butt. And the hand stays there. It's just massaging the butt and rubbing the butt. And the guy's like, ooh, baby, I really like what you're doing with your hand. She's like, what are you talking about? What am I doing with your hand? She's like, you know what you're doing. And she's like, no, I don't. He goes, what you doing with my butt? She says, I'm not doing anything to your butt. He goes, yes, you are. And she goes, my hands are here. He's like, then who's doing this thing to my butt? It turns out it was one of their friends who was playing a joke. You know, that old carve up the mattress and grab somebody's butt. (laughs) It was so weird. That it was terrible. It was so bad that I might talk about it on the show someday. I don't recommend it for everybody, but if you don't, if you go in not expecting anything good, you might have a good time. So I'm figuring, okay, they're two for one and a half. They're one and a half for two. These guys at the hysteria continues. So I took their advice and went to don't go in the woods alone. Not going, not don't go in the woods. The musical thing that I already talked about. No, no, no. This is older from the '80s. Uh, I know this is supposed to be one of the worst movies ever, but this was just boring, 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 and dark. The the scene that they talked about that was supposed to be really scary involving people trapped in sleeping bags, I couldn't see anything. If they hadn't told me what was going on, I would not have known what was going on. Even then, I didn't know what was going on. What's going on? Bring Bernadette Peters. What? Enter the woods. Okay, random Sondheim reference from Bradford. Okay, that's weird. 
Also, we got to see a lot of theater, uh, well, a couple of theater things. Bradford and I got to see a show called The Wild Party at the Secret Theater. Let's be having a wild, wild party. A lot of fun. It was a 1920s set thing, and it was just really dark and really twisted and really sexual, but really lively and lots of jitterbugging, and it was cool. But apparently, there's two versions of the Wild Party that came out at the same time, and apparently, this is the better one, the Andrew Lippa one. This is Andrew Lippa. If you like what you're hearing right now, go check that one out. It's dirty. For a musical, there was a lot of raping. There was a lot of beating. There was a lot of rough sex. There was a lot of suicide. There was a lot of murder, and a lot of Lesbians. We'll be having a lesbian party. And also, I got to see, my friend Glenn took me to see this thing called Bullet for Adolf, which is off Broadway now, right now, and it was written by Woody Harrelson, and this was such a huge piece of shit. I wish it had been called Bullet for Patrick, because I just wanted to blow my own head off. It's one of these things that was set in the 80s. It was 1984, and they felt the need to tell you that it was 1984 every three seconds. Like, oh, look, there's a Flashdance poster. Oh, look, there's a Rocky Three poster. Oh, look, somebody's wearing a Smurf shirt. Oh, look, a Rubik's Cube. Oh, look, parachute pants. Oh, look, plastic jewelry. Oh, look, just shut up. Shut up. I get it. I get it. And then between every scene change, there were film clips and music videos uh, news things and just I, I get it I get it time has not moved on I thought after a while they were going to tie together because after a while they started to get clumped together in themes like one was about the various wars that were going on and one was all about drugs and I thought maybe they'll tie into the scenes now huge piece of shit the only good thing to come out of it as we were on the way out since the show's not open yet the director's going to be in attendance so there's Woody Harrelson standing you know right there in the light booth so I'm walking past him I'm like oh hey Glenn that's Woody Harrelson and I'm just trying to make a smooth exit because that was fucking awful, you pothead, useless piece of crap. And as I'm walking past him, I see standing behind him none other than Danny Strong, Jonathan from Buffy. I practically knocked Woody Harrelson down to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing. I was like, boom, get out of the way! And of course, it's New York, so I gotta be cool about it. I'm like, psst, Glenn, Glenn, that's Jonathan from Buffy over there. Look casual. And I didn't say anything because he was clearly busy with other people. And I suck at that anyway. I'm no good with celebrities. I'm just no good. I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no good, baby. I'm no good. So something else I was able to see during this period, and I'm so excited about seeing it, was Reanimator the Musical. I give life. I give the gift of reanimation. Bringing fire to man. I give life because I can. Yeah, I got to see Reanimator the musical. I'll just wait for that wave of jealousy to just pass me. I'll just wait for that wave of jealousy to pass by. <sighs> Hold on a second. There it comes again. <sighs> I'm so lucky. You must hate me so much. <laughs>
I know, right? Now, this has been running in L.A. for a while, and they shut down production over there for a couple of weeks to come to New York to present it as part of the New York Musical Theater Festival, which I talked about last year when my guest, world-famous actress Elena Acker, was on and promoting her show, Mother Eve's Secret Garden of Divine Central Sisterhood or something. I forget, of the traveling pants, whatever. But anyway, not the point right now. This was amazing. It only played for five or six shows, and I'm so glad I got to see it because I was blown away. The thing that's really cool about it, it's um, it's really low-tech. However, they're able to do the whole movie in their own way. You know, there's little differences here and there, but they, it's brilliantly done. It has the same feel as the movie. It's actually directed by Stuart Gordon, so I should hope so. And it's ingenious because I said, oh, there's no way they're going to be able to do that part. Or there's, there's no way they're going to be able to do that part for just taste reasons. However, they did everything. And of course, a lot of times the special effects were goofy, but they were inventively goofy. That made it amazing. And I was fortunate enough to be able to sit in the splatter zone. The first three rows were roped off and they basically said, if you're going to sit here, you're going to get splattered with blood. Lots of it. Here's a poncho to protect yourself. And I said, ponchos are for wimps. Bring it on! And I was soaked by the end of it. Soaked. If you're on the Screamers um, fan page or on the on the Facebook page, you'll see the pictures. And somebody so tastefully said, it looks like a vagina exploded in my face. Which not actually happened. It was actually an intestine. Um, but we'll get to that. The thing that was great about it too was that it wasn't a spoof of the reanimator. Like, there's a Silence of the Lambs music out, musical out now, and that's great too. And there's a lot of similarities between the two of them. But that's a spoof. This is played deathly, deathly straight, and therefore it's that much more funny. I mean, they even have the reanimator cat in it. And the thing that's great about the reanimator cat is that I always forget it's coming. <laughs> And it's one of my favorite parts because my roommate Dan from college, he used to do a reanimator cat imitation. you got to understand, Dan was about as straight-laced as they come. He's a computer genius and had a really dry sense of humor. So for him to be able to do this reanimator cat impression just out of nowhere was so out of line with his entire personality that it made it all the more funny, especially since he had floppy hair so his hair would flop around with me going, rah, rah, rah. Anyway, you're not seeing what I'm doing, but it was cool. The thing is that was great about the music, too. It's deathly, deathly serious, wonderfully sung, but it's almost operatic in nature, as is Silence of the Lambs. So it gives this tone of seriousness to the whole thing. This is life and death, which actually it is. But this is world-changing events that we are presenting to you. This is the Ring Trilogy. This is... Um, this is Wagnerian. This is heavy shit. Meanwhile, you got the guy playing... Herbert West, you know, do we, I was wondering how they're going to pull the scene off, you know, at the very end where the, the, the body's chest cavity blows open and he's getting strangled by intestines. Well, they did it. It was really low rent, as in, it reminded me of Bride of the Monster, you know, the, the uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, you know, him, the guy who did uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, whose name eludes me at the moment, <laughs> where Bela Lugosi famously had to strangle himself with the octopus's tentacles because nobody thought to bring the motor for the puppet along this is the same thing he's fighting off these long intestines when he's really wrapping them around himself 
And while he's doing this, while he's doing this in his death throes, he's belting out what sounds like my way. I did it my way. With the words changed, of course. I don't really know because you couldn't hear a word he was saying because everybody in the house was shrieking and screaming and laughing because the end of the intestine, which he was holding, was also a high-powered blood gun, which he is just spewing in the audience. So anyone who did not get wet up until this point was drenched. This poor older man, must have been in his 70s, was sitting in front of me, and Herbert West just targeted him. Would just stand there for, you know, what seemed like minutes at a time, just aiming it right in this poor old man's face. And it was wonderful. Actually, after the show, Herbert West came up and apologized to him. And it was great. It was great. It was so much fun. So I thank Rich and Nick's from the Dark side for taking me to see this for my birthday, belated birthday present. And, uh, oh, they even did the famous, you know, severed head cunnilingus scene. The thing is, though, that they kept, she kept her nightgown on. And I understood that. Because, you know, having her naked would, would have been a whole different level to this show. However, let me say this. Um, earlier on, you know, the, what is her name? Whatever, whatever the girl's name is, she's with her boyfriend, whose name also eludes me, uh, the good doctor. And they're having a the little sex scene, sort of, and it's very funny how they're doing it. But when she gets out of bed, she's got the, the, the sheet wrapped around her, and you can see that she's topless underneath. But then she drops the sheet, and she's putting on her, on her blouse. She's not facing the audience, but from where I was sitting, I got full-on side boob. Full on side boob. And I'm like, woo, that was that was that was something. But then you know, after the cunnilingus scene, like I said, she's got a nightgown on, and you see, I mean, the Dr. Hill takes her panties off beforehand, so you know she's not wearing her little panties under that. After all, at the end, when she gets, you know, attacked in the elevator, and she's unconscious, and Dan, that's his name, Dan is carrying her to the ER to get treatment, he turned her my way, and I was like, that was a hooch. I just saw straight up your vagina. So nobody else screamed to them, but I did. I was like, ah, vagina! But it didn't explode. The intestine exploded. But uh, So the cast were was people that I pretty much had never seen before, except for George Wentz, you know, from Cheers. And he played Dean Halsey, and he was really, really great. But here's the thing. The cast is very small. You know, it's a low-rent production, like I said, deliberately low-rent. So there's maybe eight, maybe ten people total. So they play multiple roles. Seeing... George went as the Swedish female doctor at the beginning, you know that prologue seg segment? Oh my god. It was worth the price of admission right there. Also, and this is this is completely out of context and I really shouldn't say this at all, but the guy who played Dan was really cute. Like he wasn't first look hot but second look you're like whoa hi and then the scene where him and megan are rolling around in bed and then the argument they have afterwards and the song about their wedding and he's just in his tight little underpants the whole time and you could see everything i was so happy i didn't hear a word that they were singing because i was <laughs> i kind of redefined the splatter zone at that point that was a disgusting thing to say i stand by it though because i'm horrible if you're in the L.A. area, run, run, run to see Reanimator the Musical because it's incredible. I don't know if I'm playing any of the music underneath because there's nothing on YouTube, but there's a commercial for it. But uh, I'm so glad I got to see it. I wish you guys could see it. I wish it ran longer. I wish there was a production of it here, but who knows? Maybe it happened. It was a sold out run. But you know what is good? Starting the fucking show already, okay? Because we got two things to talk about. We gotta, I got to put a listener up against the wall. 
Yay! I also got a hot lady coming to talk about a crazy movie. So, with that much said, shut up, Patrick. Let me tell you a tale For a rhyme with no reason I'm a man who took the wrong trail One step at a time I weave and careen Through the traffic around me I run the red lights And I stop for the green I don't even know why Stranger than dreams are the days of my a horror podcast and all, I figured I should actually include an actual horror movie this week, and not just a sci-fi thriller. So, I thought about it, and I realized it's been a really long time since I forced one of my listeners up against the wall. That's right, kids. It's time for another edition of The Firing Squad. So a long, long time ago, a listener named Sean 
who is the host of the More Horror Than Horror podcast, suggested that I watch this Australian horror movie called Fee. Fuck you, won't. So, Sean, think you fully assume the position. Because I'm going to hold you responsible for your actions. If you recommend something to me, I better fucking Shouldn't like it. Isn't because it if I don't... Who would crack their pelvises if they were to try bang, to give birth to a baby? Bang. On the bang. door, baby. Bang, bang, bang. On the door, baby. I'm hilarious, but this isn't a laughing matter, Models are skinny This is life and, women and death. And this boys. is the trailer. I love you. I don't think you fully comprehend what I'm doing here. They're betting on when they're gonna die. I let them be whatever they want. Today is such a special day. I love them just the way they are. 602 pounds. (laughs) Is it a crime to feed someone? Nourishing a woman, honoring her, caring for her. That is what it means to love a woman. So, Feed. It's the story of this Australian police officer who works for Interpol. And he works in the sex crimes division. Particularly the computer sex time, uh, the cyber sex crime division. Now he stumbles across a website that's all about feeders and gainers. And if you don't know what that is, this is a real thing. It's people who appreciate people of larger forms, you know, overweight people, but they take it to the next level because they want them to be bigger. And the overweight person also wants to be bigger. So Feeding them becomes this whole sexual act. It becomes an act of submission and dominance. Um, So the feeders feed the gainers so that they gain weight. And they gain weight to the point that they can't function for themselves anymore. They give up all power to this other person because they can't walk on their own. They can't take care of themselves on their own. They can't go to the bathroom on their own. And most of all, they can't feed themselves on their own. Now, there's nothing illegal in this. However, he starts to get the feeling about this one particular site, Feeder X, that there's something wrong because he notices that the girls on the site, they get to a certain, they gain and 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 then all of a sudden they disappear. And he thinks there might be something amiss. He thinks that possibly there's something bad happening to these poor girls. And he's not wrong. So he sets off to Toledo to chase the guy who's running the site and finds himself in a whole nightmare world of grotesque proportions and that wasn't an intentional pun. So, Sean. Your moment of reckoning has arrived. Now I want you to face the wall. 
And I want you to get ready. Because I just might shoot. However, I really, really liked this movie. I know, I know you're also disappointed. I keep doing this segment and I never get to shoot anybody. I keep bending people over and putting them against the wall and then having to just say thanks, spank you on the butt, and go on with my day. I know you want to see brains splattered all over the place, but you know what? Apparently, my listeners have excellent taste. Now, Joe from Sensi is probably thanking his lucky stars, and if he's not, he should be, that the firing squad had not been a regular feature on the show when he made me watch Flesh-Eating Mothers, because otherwise, Joe... You'd be wall meat. Probably not for the first time. Anyway, I avoided watching this movie for a long time just because it looked like it was going to be really, really exploitive. Like, oh, look at the gross fat women. Oh, gross. Look at them eating. Oh, and they're naked. Blah, blah. There is an element of that. But however, the movie had me screaming at parts. The tension is ratcheted up so high in this whole cat and mouse chase between this Australian detective and the person who runs the website, who is played by Alex O'Loughlin, who has found quite a bit of fame and fortune and artistic success by playing the lead in the reboot of the, of the Hawaii Five-0 series that's running right now. Of course, I don't watch the show, so I didn't recognize him beforehand, but he's really good in this. He's really scary, particularly in these scenes when he's confronting the detective, before the detective has any real dirt on him. And what he says has a little bit of nugget of truth to it. It starts to kind of make sense. I like to think of myself as a facilitator, an enabler. I enable my women to be free of the social pressure to conform to a body norm which is based on abstract, base metabolic rates and body mass indices. I let them be whatever they want and I love them just the way they are. That's why you force feed them and measure their vital signs. Don't men measure their chests and keep track of how much they can bench press? Don't we go fishing and weigh the fish to see how big they are? You ever heard a woman talking about fitting into a tiny dress and you feel the excitement in her voice? See, statistics are just numbers, but it's the way we think about them that gives the meaning. Where's Lucy? Lucy's a model, and she's a free agent. Lucy's gone on to bigger and better things. You start to go, okay, I part of me understands what you're talking about. Meanwhile, another part of your brain is going, ah! And the part, the fact that they're able to pull that off, it's not an easy thing to do to make you sympathize, or I should say empathize with the bad guy to this extent. Of course, it's, he's taken this, this basic viewpoint of his that makes that does make sense on some intrinsic level and stretched it to perversity. And there is tons of perversity in this movie. And it's not just with the heavy, the heavy women. And, you know, when he's searching for stuff to find, you know, when he's just poking around looking for crimes, you see a lot of these really, really intense sex sites. And 
Granted, you can't see anything per se because it's blurred out or it's got the little bars over it, but you see enough to know exactly what's going on, and some of that is just really stomach-churning. I really cannot talk about this movie at all because I don't want to spoil it. It's that good. Yeah, you do need a strong stomach, and not just for the, oh, gross, it's a fat woman eating a hamburger, things like that, if that kind of thing turns you off. But there is some really grotesque things that happen. Really, 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 oh, stomach churning. I was screaming. The neighbors must have thought I was being attacked by Mr. Brad again. And I don't know what else. Just the moral dilemma behind all of this, too. At some point, these girls know. Well, this one girl that he's after, that that the detective is trying to save, on some level, she's aware of what's going on, that this guy's going to feed her to death, yet she's consenting to it. So is it a crime? This is very similar to that movie I reviewed quite a while ago, Grim Love, which dealt with the true life case of uh, the cannibal, the gay cannibal couple from Germany, where one willingly consented to have the other one eat his corpse, which he did. Well, that one actually had this bizarre love story element to it that, like I said, at a certain point, I was crying. I'm like, no, you go back in that house. You go back in that house right now and let that poor man eat you. He loves you. Again, that moment of, what are you saying? Why are you believing this line of bullshit? But that's the horror of it. And there's definitely that in this. Um, Alex McLaughlin, O'Glaughlin, is terrifying in this. I, You know what's even more terrifying? He's got a mullet. He's got this weird blonde 70s mullet thing going on, which he doesn't sport anymore. There's also a good homoerotic thing going on. Real strong homoerotic vibe in the chase between him and the Australian detective, played by Patrick Thompson. Patrick Thompson. Which is escalated by the fact that they're both very hot and frequently naked throughout the film. At a certain point, I was making fun of it because the the Australian guy seemed to have it in his contract that he needed to have his shirt off every five minutes for a while, like in really unnecessary situations. There's a scene where he's with his partner and they appear to be in the kitchen of the police department. And for some reason, he's standing there in nothing but a towel. Did we see him in the shower? No. Well, if we took a shower, why is he in the kitchen? I didn't know what was going on. But again, I wasn't complaining because I was like, hello. And plus, you get to see his winky. Because he has, he's having some issues of his own. He's, he's not exactly squeaky clean either. He's into some rough stuff, really questionable stuff. So he has some really, let's say, acrobatic sex scenes with his girlfriend that are quite graphic and disturbing in their own right. They're just as disturbing as anything that you're seeing coming from this website. And I think that's a very interesting parallel. Unfortunately, it kind of peters out in the last 10 minutes, which is unfortunate because, like I said, the tension is ratcheted so high. There were certain points when I realized I hadn't breathed for like a minute and a half, so I'm turning blue watching this movie, and I'm screaming at the TV, but in the last 10 minutes, it starts to turn into this game of just shoot him already. Just shoot him, and this will be over. You have the gun. He's in your sights. Just shoot him. However, the denouement, the wrap-up of the film is very satisfying. And of course, I'm not going to spoil it because feed, it's delicious. Thank you, Sean. Well done. You live to podcast another day.
Oh, one more thing before I finish up. This movie has an incredible soundtrack. It's got lots of 80s music. It's got a, lots of uh, pop music from Australia. And the score is really, really powerful. But then, in the closing credits, there was this song that I'm about to play. Now, the fun thing about this song, Brad had wandered in for the last few minutes of the movie, was that I like that because it, it, we started doing our own choreography to it, which I'll probably dictate to you so you can play along at home. Okay? Okay. I love life. Love life. We all love life. Shake it up. Cool it out. I love life. You love life. We all love life. Shake it up. Cool it out. Okay, that's all the words of the song. So now all you have to do is follow my instructions and we'll have a party. I love life. Point at yourself. You love life. Point at someone else. We all love life. Wave your hand. Shake. Sh- go crazy. Out. I love life. Point at yourself. You love life. Point someone else. We all love life. Wave your hand. Blow a little crazy. So that's the whole song. You have the instructions to keep the party going for the rest of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is perhaps the stupidest song I have ever heard, which is why I loved it instantly. Now just picture Mr. Brad and I dancing wildly around the living room during this free dance section. Only to come back together in a minute or two to get our point figures back in the groove. Yeah, we think we're cooler than we really are, but you know what? We had fun! Plus, it's got a screaming black woman. Brett loves them. Is it happening again yet? Are we pointing? Maybe now. Point at, point at him. Wave your hands, go a little crazy. Point at yourself. Point at someone else. Wave your hands around. Go a little crazy. God, I need to get out more. I do love life. We do? Oh my God. So do I. We have so much in common. Let's make out. Oh my God. Mama needs to lie down. So, for our main feature this week, we're looking at a 1979 sci-fi fantasy feature called Time After Time. Now, some of you are probably wondering, why are we doing sci-fi fantasy? First of all, it's my show, goddammit. And second of all, it's that whole time rift thing I talked about in the future. In, in the opening, rather. that Well, that I did talk about in the future, because we're in the future right now! Whoa! Whoa! I got nothing. But... <laughs> You know, the future can be a really lonely place. I need I need a little friendship to keep me company in this cold yet brave new world. So, without any further ado, may I reintroduce to you the lovely, the talented, the world famous actress, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Miss Elena Acker! I know what boys like, I know what guys want, I know what boys like. Hi! Hi! Cool to be here with you in the future. Oh my goodness! I know. I wish everyone else knew what it was like. I know. So amazing. (laughs) Yep. Can you believe what happened at the Olympics with that guy? Oh my God! It was crazy. I know they had won all those medals and did a triple sow cow double. You know, and that thing they did tentacles because he was really an alien. That's right. I know. Alien Olympics. 
who knew that we would be doing this well, here no, in the future, about, but we are. Well, yeah. Well, in the future future, they're talking about adding pole dancing. Are they? As yeah, a sport. Well, I heard it on Chelsea lately, so it must be true. Must be true. And I mean, you, you have to hand it to those girls who pole dance. They are certainly, you know, in good shape. They work hard at it. They and, do. They do. I mean, I appreciate it as an art form. You know, and they from, they compete against each other. They, for they do. But they compete for lap dances. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they compete against those viruses coming off the poles. But you know, that's, that's right. <laughs> okay. So now, as many of you, well, no, as at least five of you might remember, Elena Acker joined me on the one and only episode of Drama Queens, the podcast where a theater gets bent. And we talked a lot about her amazing career. So guess what we're going to talk about right now? Her even more amazing career. Yay! You have been up to so much amazing stuff. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of things have been going on. Um, I booked a couple of TV roles this winter. So um, I was all over the Investigation Discovery Network, which is um, a pretty crazy place to be. Um, yes. It's, it's a great place to be if you're someone who, who's interested in murder and lust and true crime. Um, so I played the role of a child protective services worker on the well-known show Scorned Love Kills Ooh. on the episode Crazy For You. About Is that Scorned colon Love Kills? Yeah, I believe it's scorned, colon, love kills. Excellent. Point. There, there may <laughs> you know, be an you know, exclamation point. You don't want to score in your colon, that's for sure. No, you don't want to score in your colon. No. <laughs> that would be, that would take some doing, absolutely. <laughs> um, so that was a lot of fun. I also played June Cicero, the uh, unfortunate serial killer victim, also a hooker from the 1980s in the show Evil Eye um, on the very first episode of that show. And that's Evil Eye with an I, like the letter, not yeah, the organ. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, like Evil Me, only it's Evil Eye because... That was a grim show. It was grim. That was really it? grim, yeah, because it's really cool. I talked about this before. So many people I know have been on the Investigation Discovery Network. Yeah, but like, it's a All at the same place. time. Yeah. And I'm so jealous of all of you. Oh. Uh-huh. That's okay. Yeah, but I was so I was so concerned watching the whole thing. I'm like, oh my God, he's gonna get Elena at some point. Oh no. Oh no. And I thought that was you in the truck. And I was telling Bradford, that's you lying in the ditch under the bridge. That's Elena. Yeah. Like, no, no, I don't think so. No, I think this is the other girl. No, I said, No, I recognize that jacket from the still picture she put up on Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, that's my girl. That's my wife down there. Yo. Yo, in Yo. the ditch. Yep, that that was a crazy day. We ditch part first, and I had to like take my shoes off, and it was the only cold day this winter, so that was Fingers. a bonus. Wow. Yeah, um, but but yeah, it was you know it was an exciting day getting killed, um, and it is a grim show. It takes things from the serial killer's perspective, uh-huh. so it's all like I just like to kill people. That's what I do, and then you watch the people get killed, and it's yeah. It's dark. It is a little dark. Um, well, oh, and of course, you're still doing the Ryan case, 1873, the murder mystery that we worked on last I summer. am without you, I which know. I miss you every single Saturday. I wish you were there. Yeah, well, I'm so coming back, though. You, you are. I'm coming back on the 18th for one show only. Oh, my God. I don't think I'm doing that show, unfortunately. Are you kidding me? I quit. I'm not. Oh, I my quit. God. 
That's the saddest thing I've that heard. That is the worst thing. That's like the end of Romeo and Juliet. It, it it's worse than the end of Romeo and Juliet. Oh my god! How am I? I I was for a moment I was thinking I would get to you know tell you some stories about how children in China poop everywhere. And... Yeah, no. Well, they've heard all about that. Oh, okay. They, every time I... every time there's been a poop incident, they've heard about it. Yeah. Especially if involved an Asian child on, in, in in public streets. Well, because that's Asian children have that market corner. That's what that's what my demographic wants to hear about. <laughs> There you go. Yep. Yep. Oh and, my goodness. Uh, I don't envy you though. I mean, I'm really sad that I wasn't doing it this summer. Mm-hmm. But when it was 112 degrees, I'm like, mm-mm. Yeah. Feeling <laughs> so like, bad. How I did you handle that? Um, oh, well, interestingly enough, on the day that it was the hottest, um, I took a cue from one of the other actresses and I got a handful of ice from the bartender at the venue. Um, and I just put it right down my shirt. To oh. Be- graphic okay. yeah um it actually helped a lot i was surprised okay. by um how long that kept me cool and you know just drank a lot of water and mm-hmm. um tried to think happy thoughts actually that was a very busy day so i didn't have a lot of time to sit around and think about being and, okay that's always good out there because sometimes sometimes ladies and gentlemen you wait you just sit in wherever you are and you're just waiting and waiting for the group to arrive and that's really the worst part once they're coming yeah. it's great because mm-hmm. you have no idea where they are. You have no idea when they're coming. And they could just show up at any moment. You're just like, eh, is that them? No. <gasps> there they are. There they are. Yeah. No. I, I had a day um, the other week where I chased someone in an orange hat down the street only oh, to no. discover that they were not the person in the orange hat that I was looking for. Oops. Um, I had a group get lost. And so I stopped them when they were about to turn the corner. And I did my little spiel with them. And then as soon as I finished and sent them on their way, I saw the back of an orange hat heading the other way, and that was my next group. So I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to stop them it's now. And tearing ass just... with your coal bucket across the park. <laughs> in my, yeah, in my hoop skirt, you know, running as fast as I can, yelling, coal for sale. Oi, 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 oi. <laughs> is that the guy that kissed guy... you? No, that is not the guy who kissed me. Elena yeah, got kissed <laughs> on the street. So I get, I get locked in headlocks. She gets kissed. It was, it was a different show, actually, that I got kissed doing. And oh, okay. It was even weirder because in that one I was playing like a senile old lady, um, so it made it hot. even even stranger to to be kissed full on the mouth by a complete stranger. Okay. But um, but that also happened. Yeah, well, that I was... don't know why I know this, but you know there is that DVD porn series called My Grandmama Is a Hoe, and that's up to like part nineteen. Don't ask me why I know that. Maybe they're looking for some new talent. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Great, another job for you, goddamn you. <laughs> <laughs> so in the last thing that you're doing, Mother Eve's well, – well, when you're on uh, – when you're on the one and only Drama Queens, the podcast where theater gets bent, mm-hmm. we talked about your show, Mother Eve's Garden of Sensual Sisterhood. Did I get that right? Mother Eve's Secret Garden of Central Sisterhood. <laughs> so close up the traveling pants. That yes, that is the closest <laughs> that you that anyone has ever come. I think to saying it right, who wasn't involved with the production. So, kudos to you. So that's and yeah, funny. there might be some traveling pants in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. I don't know what to say. <laughs> but anyway, you got to do a show out. You got to do a performance of it out in L.A. And now it's coming back to the Fringe Festival. That is correct. It is coming back to the Fringe this summer, a new and improved, very exciting version. Um, and rehearsals are going very well, and I'm extremely excited to be a part of this production once again. Okay. Now, just to quickly catch you up, Mother Eve, 
and all that other stuff. It's based on a, a hit award-winning, uh, what do you call them? Just, web series? Web series. That's what I mean. Uh-huh. Called Mother Eve. Or, yeah, called, called Mother-, Mother Eve, Secret Garden of Sensual Sisterhood. Oh, it is the whole thing. Uh, but you can find it at www.mothereve.com, if I'm not mistaken. Mothereves.com with an Mother-Eves. S. Mothereves.com, if you want to check that out. And that's what this play is based on. And... What was I going to yeah. say? Well, in 30, 30 words or less, Elena, just, just tell us what it's about. All right. Um, it is about a self-help guru named Mother Eve who... Um, has decided to open her own self-help boot camp for women. And um, all the interesting, quirky, strange women who need to uh, sort their lives out um, and come. And there's a really fun little twist at the end. Um, This is a show that will help you um, answer the question, "What, what if you loved yourself as much as you love cheese? Um, Which is something I ask myself every day. Me too. Imagine the things I could do if mm-hmm. I loved myself as much as I love cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mother Eve teaches women to unleash their inner skank. She helps them celebrate their cellulite and explore their female flower power. Okay. That was actually 163 words, so you owe me a Cosmo. Oh, man. Well, you know... If I get to see you, I'll 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 deal with buying that. I cup. will hunt you down. <laughs> I'm like the mafia when it comes to cocktails. So yeah. we're gonna play a little bit of a song. So uh, not a little bit. We're going to play a song from the show. And the name of the song it's Elena's big solo, and it's called "I Don't Want to Be Your Hobby." And do you want to set it up, or should we just play it? Um, well, it is a song from one of the older versions of the show. My character is one who goes through a transformation, and um, this is a moment when she lets that transformation out, when she um, lets it show, when she sticks it to the man, as it were. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Let's, so that's, I'm not going to be your hobby, bitch. You like to play mechanic on your shiny vintage car. She's your weekend pastime, but you never take her very far. She waits for you to tune her up. She doesn't ask for much. A new spark plug, a fresh paint job, maybe a brand new clutch. Sometimes you check her engine. Sometimes you leave her cold. She's unaffected, not neglected. But enough already, it's getting old I don't want to be your hobby, baby I ain't no part-time gig Or a Sunday morning round of golf Don't you dare go pencil me in Is it so bad? Babe, I'm the best you ever had To what degree do you want to be with me? Such a good time, but I can't help but feel The Tuesdays ain't enough for me This situation ain't ideal I'm not asking you to tie the knot But ain't it time to get off the pot Step on up and be a man Lord knows I know you can I know that you can Because I don't want to be your hobby, baby 
very nice, Elena. That is one sizzling number. Thank you. I had no idea you had such a big black girl in you. Yeah, it's hard to keep her in there, but um, you know, I I have to keep her fed, and that's why I eat so much. Yeah, okay, enough about you already. We've been talking about you for like 20 <laughs> minutes, all right? Nobody cares. Nobody cares this much, Elena. I care, but nobody else does. So let's That's talk about the movie. True. Probably true. Okay, let us talk about this movie. But first, we're going to play the trailer, just to set the tone. It's tradition. Okie doke. Tradition. Tradition. Thank you. I make that joke almost like every three weeks and then forget I made it. And it's so nice to have somebody else go there with me. Mm. They don't care. I have my trailer. Trailer. We're trailering. The time is 1893. And novelist and inventor H.G. Wells invites you to join him on a flight. From London to San Francisco. In under a minute, you will be transported to a bizarre and fantastic new age. Today. Time after time. For H.G. Wells, the modern world offers a spectacular array of revelations, embarrassments, and delights. Well, hello there. Hello. What's up, Doc? I beg your pardon? You were saying, where to? Uh, could you please take me as quickly as possible to the Hyatt. But Wells has not come here as a tourist. His visit will be somewhat more dangerous, for he is pursuing Jack the Ripper, a villain who has eluded his fate by escaping into time. 90 years ago, I was a freak. Today, I'm an amateur. I'm obliged to take you back to face the consequences of your acts. You take me back. How do you propose to do that? By force? Be reasonable, John. We don't belong here. A 19th century gentleman. What? You don't close your eyes. And a 20th century woman. One neither to you. Join forces to capture a criminal from the past. At large, in the modern world. But even more than they want him, he needs them. Throw me the key, and I'll release the girl. On your honor, John. You have my word as a gentleman. I would have expected that you'd notice by now that I am not a gentleman. Say goodbye. Goodbye, Herbert. You haven't instructed him in the use of one of these machines, have you? H.G. it's checkmate and you've lost again. A romantic adventure, a breathless chase around the world and across a century. Time after time. Okay, so uh, Time After Time from 1979, starring Malcolm McDowell, David Warner, and Mary Steenburgen. Elena, would you like to give us a quick summary of the plot? 
Absolutely. So um, good old H.G. Wells is chilling in London when he introduces, or um, I guess that's not the right word, when he gives his group of, of London friends a little sneak peek at his new invention, a time machine. And um, at that exact moment, he also learns that one of his friends is Jack the Ripper. Oh, no. That's right. And when he goes to find his friend, who uh, seems to have somehow disappeared from his home, he realizes that his friend, who is Jack the Ripper and is going on a crazy murdering rampage, has actually taken the time machine uh, to escape. Where did he go? Well, of course, he went to the 1970s. Oh. Do that, yeah. Wow. That's right. But thanks to a little fluke, the uh, time machine actually returned to where uh, it came from. And so H.G. Wells is able to go forward into the 1970s as well in pursuit of the man who he thought was his friend and a surgeon who ends up being uh, Jack the Ripper, another. Hello? Their type of surgeon. Oh, there you are. Hi. Hello. You oh, disappeared for back? a second. You're back. Oh, no. All right. Um, well done. Well done. So, H.G. Wells chasing Jake, Jake the Ripper? Jack the Ripper. Jake the Ripper. Jake, Jake the Ripper. That's his, that's his lesser known brother. Ah. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he dropped out of ripping school. <laughs> chasing Jack the Ripper through the seas of time to 1970s San Francisco. That's right. Serious business. I genuinely hope elena acker that you liked this movie i did i thought it was really fun it was a cool concept you know it has to do with time travel which is something that we're doing right now well what happens all the time here in the future i know if only people knew well keep wondering people because you're gonna have to experience it for yourselves once Mm. you get here um but yeah i thought it was a lot of fun you know there it created the opportunity for so many fun anachronistic, you know, those work. Those work, even with, like, the recent Dark Shadows remake. Yeah, you, that whole fish-out-of-water thing. Like, how funny it can be. Um, and then Mr. Wells falls in love with um, a, a wonderful modern woman named Amy. Um, and so he has to, you know, try and make this relationship work while also still pursuing... This murdering maniac. Okay. So, let's start picking it to pieces in the most fun way possible. First of all, can I tell you how adorable I found Michael McDowell is as H.U.L.'s? Yeah. I just wanted to squeeze him. Yeah, he is really cute. Really, really cute. Well, and the thing is, too, I, this was the first thing I ever saw him. And actually, let me backtrack a bit. My connection to this movie, now, Alana, you're far too young to understand this, but back in the early days of HBO, oops, ah, oh, ah, yes, there, oh, sorry, that is my robot maid <laughs> delivering my cocktail. Thank you. <sighs> Thank you, X23. <laughs> Future. Good old uh, X23. Yeah, yeah, she's it's a good model. It's good, much better than that Y24. She didn't work out at all. Anyway, we're not talking about robots. We're talking about this. Um, back in the day, it would go off. It was only on for a few hours a day, and maybe they'd have two movies on a day, but they just ran them back and forth mm. all day long. So you would see the same movie. I mean, granted, they repeat a lot of stuff now, but back then it was even worse. But since cable was so new, you would sit there and watch everything that they showed you every time it was on. So I've seen this movie about a hundred million thousand <laughs> times. 
Awesome. And it hit me at an impressionable age. So I just – it's one of these things that I really love and I'm glad to share it with someone who's never seen it before that got a kick out of it. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. I was glad to have it shared with me. And he was just so cute. He really does have that like – little boy lost thing going uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. And he thinks he's so suave. Like, he's like, you know, I believe in free love. Yeah. And the poor girl's like, please, I haven't heard that term since I was in junior high. Poor guy. Yep. <laughs> poor guy. Just one of the things that struck me watching it this time was that I never, if they remake it, I'm going to not be happy. Yeah. Just because I just know how modern movies are. Jack the Ripper carries a pocket watch mm-hmm. with him. That plays music. It's got a little tune. Yeah, but it has that little... And he plays the music while he kills. He'll meet his victim. He'll seduce them. The watch comes out. And the girl dies. In the watch, there is a portrait of a woman. We don't find out any information about who that is. If this was a modern movie, half the movie would be about the woman in that picture like oh yeah. Amy would be the reincarnation of the woman in the picture and shit like that and it would make me throw yeah. up it make me throw up yeah now, it was nice you know yeah to have that be a little secret that you know there's something going on there and to have that sort of left up to your imagination yeah. what's the connection mm-hmm mm-hmm so um I I got a kick out of watching it thinking of you watching it in the opening scene when they're in ye oldie timey <laughs> and and he meets he meets the prostitute that he's going to kill because I'm like oh she's just like Sally she's Sally stand up she totally is she, yeah. she, totally, she totally gave him a stand up yeah <laughs> gave, gave him a leaner <laughs> yep Sally yep. is a character from the murder mystery that we worked on she's also she plays the prostitute and she specializes in you know up against the wall trade. That no, it is. It's just like her. It reminded me of her too. She's just a little bit flighty. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, we got our own band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, something I did not notice. Okay. H.G. Wells gets in his time machine and he goes to this weird, as he's traveling to the future, there's this whole sequence that's a mix between 2001 A Space Odyssey and Windows Media Player. Yeah, yes, it is like Windows Media Player. It's super funny. You're like, oh, apparently, like time machines operate with like prisms a lot because there a are lot. just all these little rainbow, yeah. <laughs> and it picks up radio stations, just the important parts. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so just the important parts to tell you about all the things that have happened in history uh, in between the 1890s and the 1970s. Um, yeah. And, um, the thing I didn't catch, you know, because it's been years since I've seen it, so I wouldn't have caught this. But as soon as he lands in a museum in San Francisco, because that's where the time machine is is now, uh, mm-hmm. there's a museum about H.G. Uh, I mean, rather, an exhibit about H.G. Wells at the San Francisco Museum. So since the time machine is there in 1979, that's where he lands. Immediately, you hear this little boy going, Mommy, Mommy, there's a man in the exhibit. It's fucking Corey Feldman. Are you serious? That was baby Corey Feldman. Are you kidding me? How I did kid I you not? No. I kid you not. Future train wreck. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. And I'm like, look at if him. He's only so he had had a time machine. Maybe we could have prevented looking. yeah. All the all the sad things that happened to that man. Because man, there's a whole thing now that he's he's living with somebody 
Yeah. He has a restraining order against some 300-pound woman Yeah, that has been accused of – that. apparently she he used to pay her to sit on him. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't know. I don't know either. And, of course, I met him at one of these conventions I go to, and there was a whole big drama, which I've talked about a lot. So I'm not going to bring that up again because I embarrass everybody who was involved. Oh, Especially man. myself. So, oh, my goodness. He was a deep – I'll have to go back to some of that. I, like I'll have to re-listen to some of that so that I am he caught up. He wore a front rat tail. It was like a rat tail, but in the front, down across oh, one oh. eye, a little teeny tiny braid. Uh. You're a douche. But the thing is, he got mad at a friend of ours because she was drunk and she made a fool of herself, to be perfectly honest. And when he got mad, he got down at eye level, looked her in the eye, flipped the rat tail back, and he's like, you are being very rude. And flip the rat tail down. I'm like, oh shit! You made him flip the tail. He flipped the tail. That's how serious <laughs> it got in here. Watch out. Yeah. So Watch. no sooner is H. G. Wells arriving in San Francisco when you get pummeled with everything, all the weirdest things about San Francisco in the 70s. Immediately, this Hari Krishna is coming up the stairs yeah. with their tambourines. <laughs> and did you catch the woman in the cellophane pants? Yes. I was yes. like. <gasps> I didn't know that that was a thing. That ever. was a thing. That Seriously? was a thing. Oh my god! No, I was just like for hookers, this- but yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that cellophane pants in the daytime. I don't know about that. Yeah, I actually had to like pause it for a second just to make sure I was seeing what I was really seeing right then because it's just a woman walking down the street <laughs> and she's got going to work like, t-shirts <laughs> under under them and it's like yeah it's like she's wearing saran wrap on her legs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that would be handy in the rain, but I suppose. And they make nothing of it. Like she's not featured. You know, they don't zoom in on. She's just passing by, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they didn't make a big deal out of it made a bigger deal out of it for me. I'm like, hey, look at those pants. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And he goes to McDonald's. Yep. McDougal's. And that's a really cute scene. That is really cute. Yeah, where he, like, he orders his food and he, like, can't figure out how to order it. So he just watches the guy in front of him. And then he orders the same thing, like, in the guy's exact same voice. It's so cute. I have a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah. <Or> fries, <laughs> whatever it was, chicken nuggets or whatever he was having. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "Oh, these are pom frites." But I just like oh, that's fr- right. He he turns to the guy next to him and he's like, "Fries are pom frites." <laughs> <laughs> but then he's rubbing the table because it's what do they call that? Formica or whatever it is. He's like, "Yeah, very interesting wood." This yeah, table. <laughs> I've never seen wood like this before. That's what he said. <laughs> that's what she said. That is oh. what she said. She definitely <laughs> said that. And then later on, he's like, ooh, he's on a date with Amy. Do you like the restaurant? Because she's got a really thick, I guess it's Boston accent for some reason. Do you like the restaurant? He goes, oh, yes, it's much nicer than that Scottish place I went to. She goes, Scottish place? is like McDougal's. Yeah. She's like, oh. Uh, huh? What? Yeah. Oh, it's so, yeah, no, I don't understand her accent at all. That was one thing that just totally baffled Actually, I think it's Chicago because she, I know she came out of um, Steppenwolf. Ah, yeah, it's just, I mean, she's such a, an adorable, likable character, but it is, I'm just like, why does she sound like that in San Francisco? Because she's a it fish sounds, out of water, too. I guess so. Yeah. Everyone is, that's... So, yeah, he's he's chasing Jack the Ripper, and he figures out that 
he needs to trade his money in. He he stole some money from his maid, which I thought was awful. He took her earrings. The poor woman. <laughs> I know. And he's like, I promise I'll make it I'll make it up to you. I'll give it back to you. But he's yeah, he's like, Can I'm you give me anything this- else? Can you give me anything else? And I'm like, She's your maid. Like you pay her. Like uh-huh. I mean, he was thinking about inflation. You got to... Uh-huh. As he said, that. he said he's not sure if currency will mean anything to the natives of the yes, future. The and natives. you know, he might have to trade with us because we are also in the future. And at this point, currency does mean, not mean anything. Yeah, we pay for everything with um, um, pretzel nuggets. Yeah, pretzel nuggets. Mm-hmm. The currency of the future. Honey mustard pretzel nuggets, to be specific. So yeah, well, actually, you can get a little extra if you have the uh, the like onion flavored ones, but um, but yeah, the honey mustard ones are the are what most people have. <laughs> They're the Benjamins. <laughs> they are the Benjamins of the day of the future. A uh, good thing I stockpiled all those pretzel nuggets back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Hoarder. Um, but anyway. <laughs> So he, he, he has to change all this money. So he goes to a bank, and it occurs to him while he's there that Jack the Ripper, Dr. John Stevenson, is also going to have to change money if he's going to exist, if he's going to be able to live here. So he figures, I'm going to start going to banks and see if I can track him down that way. Granted, this, I thought, went on forever, but he finally yeah. Across, yeah, I'm like, I get it, banks. I get it. <laughs> it's like, it's a really long bank montage. I wonder if they had a deal with like some banks to like, because they are like also weird banks. It's like the Singapore Trust. Yes. And you're like, I bet that exists. It probably uh, does. Yeah. It probably does. I mean, San Francisco is an economic capital, I think. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just talking out my ass. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it. Well, it they was- make sourdough, and sourdough pretzels are the best. That's true. I mean, I, oh, well, nowadays, obviously, they're, you know, and a financial empire because of the pretzels. <laughs> well, until they sank anyway. That was yeah. tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he finally finds he finally he finally comes across the Bank of England and bing light bulb goes off. Where else would Jack the Ripper go? And he goes in there and Amy, Mary Steenburgen, is the, the she's not the teller, but she's the manager of foreign currency exchange, I suppose you call it. And she's like, yes, there was a guy dressed just like you in here yesterday. <laughs> That's exactly I suggested a hotel to him. Let's go the to the Hyatt. Agency. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now, now, now Jack, the, he confronts them there. Jack the Ripper knows he's in San Francisco. He's continuing to kill. The body count is racking up. It's You don't see any of it, but you're just seeing the headlines that girls are being found murdered hither and yither. Is he, yep. Is he the word? It is now. Yither, yither is now. <laughs> yither and yither. All the prostitutes of San Fran are dying. You so, know, their their cellophane pants are showing up, washing are. up on the shore. The thing is, this takes a back burner for a long time, and it really focuses on this relationship that's right. blooming between Amy and H.G. Wells. And it was entertaining enough that you kind of forgot. Yeah, well, the thing exactly. is, because... Jack the Ripper was supposedly killed in a car accident. Oh, yes. That's right. They think he's dead. And so, you know. Yeah, that's right. They have a big chase scene and, you know, run over. You're like, he can't really be dead. This, that would be just, you know, this wouldn't be a movie if he were really dead. Mm -hmm. But they they say that he's dead at the hospital. So, that means, yeah, H.G. is free to pursue his romance. Get it on. 
Oh, yeah. What is that noise? Oh, is there a noise in the background? That's yeah. my air conditioner. Oh, okay, the don't worry about it. The compressor just started. That's fine. Should I turn it off? You probably should. I can. All right. If it gets too on. hot, turn it back on because it's actually not that bad. It just was yeah. scaring me. All right. Well, no, just hang on a second. I'll turn it off. It'll be I thought fine. the police saucers were coming after you. Oh, no, not the police saucers. <laughs> the police saucers. Saucers, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's what not, I said. They're not coming. All right. Um. Yeah. All right, I'm back. I was able Wonderful. to, um, you know, misdirect the police saucers so they're not going to be after me for at least another 20 minutes. Well, yeah, because I know what you did. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just keep that our little secret. Oh, I would never tell. I, I'm an accomplice. That's right. I helped. Anyway. So- <laughs> it's shake and bake. And I- <laughs> <laughs> Is it she shaked, I baked. That's right. Uh- <laughs> oh, my God. So they're having, they're falling in love, and he's staying in her apartment. And what I liked about this part, as an adult watching it, it's almost old time movie banter. Yeah, there was a '40s kind of a feel to it. Mm-hmm. Which made it really. But, yeah, she's like, if you don't put your ha- your arms on me right now, I'll die. I'll scream. Yes. I'll scream. That's what it is. It's even better. Yes. <laughs> if you don't take me in your arms this minute, I'll scream. Um. So they're on this first dinner date, and this this never hit me before either. And she's basically you know, they're kind of feeling each other out whether they're gonna be getting it on. Yeah. Not she's trying to put it out there, and she's kind of trying to say that she's interested, but she's not that kind of girl. Right. All the time. And she has this really long rambling speech, which I'm probably gonna play the audio of right yeah. about. Yeah. But that whole part in the middle where she's like, because, you know, some people, they can just jump into bed with anybody. And, you know, like my friend Carol from work, she always is running around with just bad. I'm like, you just totally threw your friend from work. (laughs) Oh, no, there's like an entire like sub part of this movie where she like continually throws Carol under the bus. She does. She's constantly. Poor Carol. I wouldn't met Carol. Carol seems like a lovely woman. But she's like on her team. Carol's trying to like make sure Amy's like. You know, she covers for her when she leaves work for half a day so that she can go on, like, a mega date with H.G. Wells. Uh-huh. But it is, no, there's a part where she's like, so Carol wants to know if London's really crawling with Arabs. <laughs> and H.G. Wells is like, what? And she's like, Not- she wants to marry into oil. <laughs> and it's like everything she says. It's so like Carol Or Carol calls when he's over and she's like... Carol, would you leave me alone? I'm trying to, like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, for her friend, she doesn't seem to like Carol. No, she doesn't. Since you brought up the phone, I always wanted one of those Mickey Mouse phones. I had one. Shut the hell up. Oh, my God. Yeah, it wasn't actually mine. It was my father's, and it was from, like, his office at work. Don't touch that. It's mine. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I think I did actually have it in my room for a while because I thought it was so cool. Um, but no, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, it's the Mickey Mouse phone. We had the Mickey Mouse phone. We may still have the Mickey Mouse phone in my parents' basement. We probably wow. do. Wow. Yeah. I hate you even more now. I'm sorry. I don't though. I really don't. I can't. I want to, but I can't. <laughs> You're just so cute. Oh. So it was about this time that I started to notice because several days have gone by. Jack the Ripper, when we've seen him, he's adapted to the 70s really well. Yeah. Dylan. He's got some good, like, aviator sunglasses going on. Oh, yeah. He's got the denim jacket. He's got the bell bottoms. He is 
come into his own here. And in that scene where they have that confrontation at the hotel, there's this rather distressing scene where he just <laughs> oh, H.U.L. says, you don't belong here, John. John's like, uh, no, I do. And sit down and start flicking through the TV channels and it's all violence and sex and rape. And yeah. he's just like, I'm home. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm home in the future, unlike you. Yeah, Mr. in your pacifist. tweed. Yeah. In your tweed, which you've been wearing for days. Which, because this is what it started to get me at this point. During this whole thing, you wore the same thing. And she's constantly making out with them. I'm like, he must reek. Yeah, seriously. Point, he must reek. They they missed an opportunity there where she could have been like, you can take a shower. And he would have been like, but we only bathe like once a month. And she'd mm-hmm. be like, where do you really come from? But, um, <laughs> but you know, it could have been a funny bit. But Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. My note on this whole thing. I just, I'm just reading through my notes. And my note has Carol's a whore, exclamation point, underlined. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, right, I mean, she is, she's a very forward-thinking woman. She asks him out first, right? She does. She does. She makes the first move. Yeah. She, and also that's, she's, she, like, um, well, yeah, she gives him her number and he doesn't uh-huh. even ask for it. He doesn't know what and it then, is. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. It's, that's a cute moment, too, where he's like, okay, what is it? And she's like, like you, you know. know do, 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 do. And he's do, like, do, yeah, do, 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 do. <laughs> so cute the way he plays along um but yeah but then when he shows up she's like so you've decided to let me take you to lunch and um yeah so i mean she's even she's paying and um there's that point you know again on their date thing where they're kissing they're having their first kiss and he it's going a little getting a little hot and heavy and he goes amy she says what's wrong he goes amy i just want to make sure that I'm not compromising you. Mm-hmm. And she says, Herbert, I'm practically raping you. <laughs> she does say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, which is an interesting, interesting thing to think about in light of all of this, like, recent, I don't know if you've been aware of it, but, like, the Tosh.0, like, rape joke thing. That yeah, was, yeah. You know, freaking everybody out. And it's like, hey, well... There was a a lady making a rape joke way uh-huh. back in the day. Uh-huh. But the thing is, she was. <laughs> she, yeah, she was I mean, it's true. Strong. She was. She was pretty much trying to get in his pants from like the the moment she it's, met him. Uh huh. Getting that itchy tweed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Yeah. So at some point along here, the body count starts again. That's right. So, oh no, we were wrong. So now he's trying to get to the police. He's leaving the messages. Is Sherlock? Oh, he goes to see them and tells them that he's Sherlock Holmes because I guess he thinks, oh well, they're not going to know who this is in the future. Yeah, exactly. He just thinks of the name and doesn't think they're going to know. But little do they know that make, or little does he know rather that makes him look crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy for dressing so weird. And um, I'm trying to remember what what goes on. Well, basically, what happens. He eventually has to come out and tell Amy the truth. Thank you, X-27. <laughs> Just stay right. out of it. I'm fine. <laughs> she's, she's very, very smothering oh, sometimes. X-27 is all the reprogrammed. Too. She's, got a, she's got an opinion. She does. Um, so, yeah, so he has to tell her the truth. And, of course, um, she thinks he's crazy. Yep. And so to prove it, he's like, fine, why don't I take you on a trip in my time machine? 
Mm-hmm. Which they do. So we take, they break into the museum at night, which is also really kind of adorable. <laughs> Sneaking around mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo style to get in the time totally. machine. And he goes one day in the future. Or, oh, he's going to Friday it's nights. Friday two night. Days. He goes to Saturday, right? Whatever it is. It's like two, two days. days, yeah. And <laughs> the trip is like, boop. She's like, that was the ride of my life. <laughs> <laughs> which also, I believe, is something she said. You know, the proverbial she. But oh, yes. Um, oh, yes, thank you. She, capital she. Yes. Um, she thinks it. She's like, this is bullshit. I'm leaving you, blah, 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 blah. And as she's storming out, she sees the newspaper headline. There's been another murder. And guess who it was? Bum, bum, bum. Who was it, Elena? It was Amy. What? She's reading about her own murder in the future? Yeah, it's crazy. So now they know they have to go back and try to stop this murder from happening. They know when it's going to happen. They know where it's going to happen. And so he tries to convince the police who now, of course, are openly calling him an asshole and think he's crazy. Now he's a suspect. Mm -hmm. And finally, there's a big showdown because Jack the Ripper does get and he kidnaps Amy. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a big showdown in the Palace of Fine Arts, which was an amazing location to shoot the end. Yeah, very cool. Um, I don't know what to say. Yeah, well, it's, anyway. well, it's weird. I mean, the whole ending is so, it is really kind of, you know, intense because he's he's going to go away for like one second and Amy's going to take a nap because they had this traumatic night. Yeah, but she mixed booze and pills. Yeah, she took bills she and then know she took better, But yep, she she had some Valium and she, she had, had a total had some Valium brandy dolls from moment. the flask. Yep, she did, and so she sleeps until like nighttime. And H.G. Wells, while he's like on his little mission, he gets uh yeah arrested by the police because uh-huh. they think you know that he knows so much about these murders that he must be the one who committed them, and he's trying to frame someone else. Mm-hmm. And also. And very, mm-hmm. Before he left, he forgot to slam the door. That's right. The and door the door doesn't only lock locks you when slam you slam it. it. So Jack the Ripper got in, kidnapped Amy. Well, actually, we Dude, don't know that because he kidnapped. shows up and there's a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, no, well, he, he killed Carol. Yes, and my favorite dialogue, dialogue exchange in the movie because I have these friends. You met them when you came to see the, the big gay sing. You met the oh, DePoto sisters. Yeah, I sure did. Marilyn and Christine. Now, of course, I had not seen them in years that particular night. So I'm sorry. You didn't get the attention you deserve. But that's mm. not the point right now. That's one of our favorite movies. There, We're all in the HBO club. Mm-hmm. And we would quote it incessantly. And their favorite part, which now became my favorite part, was just the way she delivers this whole end scene. Herbert. Herbert, I'm over here. <laughs> the he newspaper was wrong. He didn't kill me. He killed my, he killed my friend Carol from work. I forgot I invited her over for dinner. To beat you. Herbert, I'm over here. You murdered Carol, my friend from work. I forgot I invited her over for dinner to meet you. Amy. The newspaper was wrong. Amy. So once again, Carol gets the goddamn shaft. I know. Carol gets, like, hacked to pieces. I'm also watching this as an adult. In this final showdown, he's, H.U. Wells is nonviolent. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to buy a gun. He doesn't want to, you know, as he says, the first, first person who raises his fist is the one who loses. 
Or the the person who raises his fist is the one who is out of ideas. That oh yeah, that's the one. Quote where he's like, you know, you can think of a better way than just resorting to violence. So he begs for her life. Jack the Ripper is going in that time machine and he's going to go cruising. There's no reason to take her. There's no reason to keep her alive. And he basically says, beg. Mm-hmm. And he does. And it's really a powerful scene. Yeah, it's Not really sad. The poor little Magamadel's crying. Oh. Yeah, he's like, please let her go. But in the end, love prevails. Jack the Ripper is banished into infinity. We'll explain that. Now watch it yourself. You'll figure it out. Yeah. And love lives on. Apparently, I guess they. Amy was actually the name of his real wife. Yeah. Yeah. So how about so it was a true story? Yep. It Obviously, and that's why they never caught Jack the Ripper. That's right, because he there went in- into infinity mm-hmm. with no way out. Don't go to infinity, guys, because the you only guy out you there wants to kill and beyond. you. Yeah, but if you just go to infinity, you might get ripped. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and you know, I realize if you want to watch this again with your friends, Elena, there's a great drinking game you can play. Oh yeah. Drink every time he starts cleaning his glasses. Awesome. Mm-hmm. He those glasses will not stay on his face. It was very Giles of him. Yeah. Well, and there's a moment where the uh, where Stevenson takes his glasses away. Oh, when he's trying to get the key. Yes. Um, but there's yeah, he does take those glasses off quite quite often. Mm-hmm. 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 And um, the thing is, I started to say this before. This was the first thing I ever saw Malcolm McDowell in. Really? Uh huh. So the next thing I saw him in was a Clockwork Orange, where he was beating a woman to death. Where it's totally crazy with yeah. a six foot dildo, and I found out that's really what he's more like. So really, big kudos to him on this movie because there's not a trace of that Malcolm McDowell. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. It's a completely different sort of character. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the guy who plays um, Jack the Ripper, David Warner is one of my favorite character actors. He's got the career I dream of. Mm. He's, he's been in everything. Mm. Nobody mm. knows his name. But you're like, oh, it's that guy again. He always does solid work. Yep. But he was in Titanic, for God's sake, and everything. Oscar-winning That's movies. Right. And The Omen, he had one of the most spectacular death scene in that whole series, and nobody knows his name. Yep. If he went into Cheers, they wouldn't even know his name. They yep. know Everybody's and they name. know everybody's, everybody's. name. Because <laughs> everybody there knows everybody's name. Uh-huh. They're all savants. It's true. <laughs> what a talent to have. Um, okay. But, yeah. So I'm going to steal a game from the 40, uh, 42nd Street Drive-In podcast. Cool. In, in which high point, low point. What was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? Of the movie? Um, no, no. <laughs> <you're> <laughs> of <lost>. life. <laughs> of life. Of the future and this glorious future world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, gosh, it's hard to say. Um, high point. Um, I really do love that ending scene where where he begs for for her life i really mm-hmm. thought it was sweet and very timeless you know it's easy like movies like this that are you know not exactly modern they have like funny music and there are just funny moments and whatever and that was you know it transcended all of that in that moment where he he begs for her life back mm-hmm. um 
And then least favorite part. Oh gosh. It, I mean, it, there wasn't really have, very much one? that. You don't need one. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't anything that stuck out as being like particularly lame or dumb. I mean, it all. Okay. Good. It all dealt for me. I had fun watching it. That is the important thing that I wanted to give to you. That is my gift to you, Elena Agar. Oh, Thank you. I will cherish it always. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Twice on Sundays. Um, Oh, yeah. I don't think I have. I mean, it's hard for me to really say what my favorite part is. It's just because I love the whole movie. And it's one of those things I was afraid to watch again. Mm. Because, you know, sometimes when it's been 20 years, all of a sudden you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah, like it belongs to a specific time in your past. And then. Uh-huh. And I think maybe part of that is because it is has to be in 1979. So the fact that it's dated yeah. isn't an issue. Because I just – okay. This is a pet peeve of mine. And I just saw this random side note. I just saw the play at New World Stages, uh, Bullet for Adolf, written by uh, Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. It takes place in 1984. They feel the need to remind you every five seconds – that it's that 1984. It's the 80s. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, like, Rubik's Cubes keep coming out and the Smurfs and, you know, the songs and, like, okay, I get it. Yeah. I get I it. I understand where we are. And even though this is a time capsule piece, no pun intended, that it's about these two eras, they didn't put – you got little glimpses of the weirdest parts of the 70s, just enough. They didn't parade out, oh, oh this is all what's hot of the time and making it – putting it center stage. Yeah. For him to go look at, oh, for him to go, oh my God, everything's so crazy here. It just was there. Yeah, exactly. pants just off on the side. Just there because they're there. And no, exactly. It's a period piece. I mean, it's a period piece within a period piece, I guess. But, oh, um, yeah. but it, yeah, exactly. It works just as it is. Those cellophane pants definitely would be the low point of the movie for me, not because it was bad, but just because I feel like that was a low point in fashion in the history of, you know, humankind. Can I tell you a secret, Elena? Yeah. The cellophane pants are my high point and my low point. <laughs> <laughs> Both. It gave me such joy to see them, to remind me of them, because I have not thought of I'm like, wow, I can't believe those didn't come back. Everything else from the 70s came back. <laughs> and the fact that it was just like, those existed. <laughs> yeah. I just never saw them in daytime before. Maybe she was coming <laughs> home. It's kind of like cabaret, you know, green, green polish. Yeah. Before noon. Just <laughs> divinely decadent. Oh, yes. No, you just look trashy, darling. Did you see me in the movie? I was, oh, my God. I wonder if she brought them from home. Like, she was an extra. You usually supply your own costumes. <laughs> yeah. That's a- oh, gross. I brought my own, yep. I brought my cellophane pants to the shoot. My best cellophane pants, thank you. Yeah, they were like, we want you to bring trendy clothes. And she was like, and they oh, were like something yeah. trendy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so any final thoughts? Um, No, other than that, you know, it's a good time. I'd recommend it. Good. Good. Okay, so thank you for joining me again, Elena Acker. Again, you're going to be at the uh, – where, where can they find out information about the Fringe Festival? Um, www.mothereves.com. Um, you can also go to fringenyc.org if you want to buy tickets. We've got shows coming up on August 15th, 19th, 21st, 23rd, and Sunday the 26th, the end of the festival. Hmm. Um 
So it should be a riot. We're at the Players Theater in the West Village. Because you're a player. Because I'm a player, and that right. was the only place they could put me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we are going to go out on Sweet Cinnamon Bun from Mother Eve's that is right. secret garden of the plants that are sexy. <laughs> garden, garden of sexy plants. Mother Eve's secret garden of sensual sisterhood. Okay, and I'd set this one up, but I think you'll figure it out on your own. Thank you again, Elena Acker. Thank you. And bye. So this week, ladies, I want you to try living life the way so many men do. Instead of thinking with this, I want you to start thinking with this. People like to give advice and tell me what to do. But there's only one voice I like to listen to. It's not my mother or father or a teacher or a nun. She's my mentor and my guide and my sweet cinnamon bun she knows the way through bush or briar and this i surely know and this she surely knows i did the best things i ever did in life cause my pussy told me so cause my pussy told me so Accept the status quo. Every week I've got a new bow. Cause my pussy told me so. Cause my pussy told me so. Now get out there, pedals, and see where she leads you. It's time for dinner, ugly duckling. I got those fat free tater tots you like. Hey, Dad. You know how in the story the ugly duckling eventually becomes a swan? Well, I think I want to be a swan now. Oh, honey, no matter how old you get, you'll always be my little ugly duckling. I want to be the swan now. She whispered in my ear. Not literally, because that's kind of far. I said, listen up. guy that I like, but my pussy reminded me that I am not supposed to be stalking, so I just stayed home and drew pictures of us and Googled him. I did not follow him to no pro, cause my pussy told me so, cause my pussy told me so. Vagina, which is the proper term for that lady part, told me so. Yeah.
Hi, Patrick. This is Tara. I'm from the Facebook message board. I Hi, posted Tara. how I was going to go see Nightbreed the Cabal Cut, and you wanted to know how it went. Ooh, yes, yes, I Well, did. it was really, really great. Cool. Um, it was really a lot longer. It went from 90 minutes to just shy of two and a half hours. I like long things. And I don't know if you've seen the same cut I just saw. If you saw your friend and Bobby have a musical number, then you yes. saw the same one I did. If not, you want to see the later one. It is really great. Your friend has so much more to do in it, and her yes. character, all the other characters, are just really more fleshed out. The story is so much more there. Things actually make sense now that didn't make sense before. Really? All in all, it was really great. Unfortunately, because I had to run to catch a train, I couldn't stay for the Q&A after. You but suck. But there was an intro, and that was really interesting. You suck. a lot of information. Loser. It was pretty cool. At the theater, One of the there was someone there um, in cosplay as Decker, the bad guy, with yes. the creepy mask and everything. Uh-huh. Um, not creepier than the girl dressed as slutty Robin that I saw on, at the train station on my way oh, home. God. So that was very interesting in yeah, and of we itself. Get those. So, yeah, I hope that lets you know. And also, if people would like to see um, this, this cabal cut, what they can do is go to Occupy Midian mm-hmm. and either on Facebook or the separate website and they can sign a petition so Morgan Creek knows there's actually a market for this to be fully remastered and put on DVD. And the remastered version wouldn't have the weird changing between DVD version and VHS version, which is a little weird, but I could deal with it. It wasn't a problem for me. But if it got a proper remastering, that wouldn't be really a problem anymore. So if anyone wants to see it, Occupy Midian, sign sign the petition, and let Morgan Creek know you want to see it. Have a great day. Bye. Okay, Tara, thank you for calling in. If I'm not mistaken, are you not a first-time caller? Yay! If you're not, I take it back. But you know what? I've already played it. So you're a second-time caller. I don't know what I'm saying. Shut up. Yeah, so Occupy Minion. It's very important. If you want to see the cabal cut of Nightbreed, and really, why not? If you want to see the movie the way it was supposed to be seen so that it makes sense, head on over to the Facebook page, uh, and that's Midian. M-I-D-I-A-N, and by all means, let Morgan Freeman know that you want to see a remastered version of this movie. Wait, it's not Morgan Freeman. It's Morgan Creek. Well, you know what? Let Morgan Freeman know, too, because, you know, he's God. We all know that, except some of us know that he's a velociraptor. That's really an inside joke that nobody but me, Bradford, and listener Ryan gets, but you know what? That's all that really matters now, isn't it? Um... Now, to be perfectly honest, I didn't see all of the uh, Cabal cut either. I saw it at its world premiere at Horror Hound Weekend a couple of years ago, and it was a whole big to-do. You know, you had to pay $100 to go sit in the front row or some crap, but then everything got all fucked up because Clive Barker was going to be there, plus they were having this Hellraiser reunion. On top of all this, it was this whole Clive Barker evening. Now, Clive Barker is very ill. He's got throat cancer, he's got HIV, he's got all of the things, and plus he's gay, which means he's a diva. So, we were waiting and waiting and waiting for him to show up. He was supposed to start at 6. And it was like 8, 8.30. And he had not shown up yet. And I'm sitting next to Randy from Drunken Zombie. And this is the funny thing. Because he was one of the schmucks that paid $100 to sit in the front row. Because he loves Nightbreed that much. Except by the point, the movie started showing. When Clive Barker finally showed up and did his speech. That a lot of people had already left. So Bradford and I just zipped right in. We're like, hi Randy. 
How's <laughs> Oh, well. And he was all mad. And plus, he was on the aisle. People kept hitting him in the leg because he had a... That's not really the point right now. But anyway, Clyde Barker, bless his heart, he got up and he spoke really passionately for a good hour about so many things. The thing was, I have no idea what he was talking about because... You couldn't hear him. Like I said, he had throat cancer and he just had surgery. He didn't have one of those things in his throat, but he was really quiet. I really was. I knew what this gigantic So, whatever he was saying, he was really into it that I'm like, that's right, Clive. That's right. Fight whatever it is you're fighting. And I have no idea what he was talking about. So, when the movie finally started, I don't know how it was for you. It was really sketchy. I mean, yeah, it needs to be remastered, but there were really weird things that really by the time the movie had started, it was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I had other things I wanted to do. There was partying that needed to be dude. Needed to be dude? There was partying that needed to be dude. Dude. But the one thing that I remember, it was a really rough print and I, I didn't love the original enough to to sit through all this, but it was the scene where I think it's Ann Bobby or Craig, whatever. There's the woman that accompanies Craig Sheffer or whoever it is to Midian the first time and she stays behind in the car and gets killed, I think it is. Or I don't know, remember what it is. The woman who's left behind and then gets killed by uh, David Cronenberg. Is that right? I'm just talking out my ass right now. But anyway, when whoever it is, I guess it's Ann, comes back and finds her dead. For some reason, you know, the, the 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 radio in the car is supposed to be playing, and this was clearly not on the actual soundtrack. They just put in any music, just to say like, hey, this needs to be music here. But it was "It's Raining Men" by the Weather Girls. It's raining men, hallelujah! It's raining men, and this is supposed to be a scary scene. And I'm peeing myself. But then again, it's Clive Barker, and he's gay, so he might have said, you know what? I really like, I would really like to have the Weather Girls in this scene. Yes, Ann Bobby is a goddess. And the funny thing is, uh, I got... She wrote this play a while back. I talked about it on the show called, I think it was Facts for Ladies or things like that. And uh, I was called in at the last minute to do a stage reading of it by my friend Doug, who's going to be on the show someday. And I met her. I did the whole thing. She was gorgeous. She was brilliant. She's vibrant. She's an incredible cook. And she's really passionate about everything. She's really got this wonderful sense of righteous indignation, you know, with Occupy Wall Street and the various wars and, you know, the presidential election. She is an outspoken lady. I had no, I did not make the connection in my head that this was Ann Bobby from Nightbreed. This was Ann Bobby from Cop Rock. This was Ann Bobby that I've seen on Broadway so many times I could cry. It just did not register. So I... I finally sent her a message. I'm like, Ann Bobby, are you the same Ann Bobby that made me cry in the Godspell revival in 1987? She's like, yes, I am. I'm like, son of a bitch. You were already awesome, and now you're triply awesome. And I'm, an, I'm honored to have her in my life, and hopefully I can get her on the show one day. I just haven't had the courage to ask because that woman is busy because she's bionic. Anyway, Tara, I told you when I listened to this call initially that it sounded really garbled, and I think that was my headphones more than you. I see you called back again. I'll get to your call later, and if you just repeated yourself, I'm not going to play it because you know what? We don't need another Zombard. We don't need another long call. <laughs> Thank you, Tara. Bye. Bye. Hey there, Patrick. This is Hunter in Louisiana again. Hunter. I forgot to tell you something last time I called. Um, there was something interesting that was brought up while we were talking to the producer that uh, 
Arachnoquake, the sci-fi original picture movie. <laughs> yes. Apparently, in order to get funding for the movies they do, uh-huh. people inside the U.S. like aliens and monsters sort of stuff, and people outside the, uh, the, the, the U.S., like Ford uh, areas, like natural disasters. So uh-huh. the best way to get a... Um, Funding is to have a little bit of both, which is why they had a rechnoquake, uh, even though there was only one minor earthquake in the uh, That's movie, all you need. and alien tornado they did, which there was only a little bit of alien and a lot alien of tornado. tornado? Um, so it was just an interesting uh, thing that he brought up. Uh, all right, man, uh, you have a good one, and I'll talk to you all later. Thank you, Hunter, for that fascinating insight into international culture. So basically, in a nutshell, what you're saying is that Americans are afraid of giant animals attacking, you know, that are spliced genetically somehow into some gigantic mutation that are going to come and eat your face off in the middle of the night, whereas people outside of the U.S. are afraid of things that might actually happen. And this is the problem with world culture in a nutshell. Thank you, Hunter, for that educational tidbit. Hello, Patrick. It's Tom DJ from Better in the Dark Laboratories out in Brooklyn. Uh, I finally got what I've been wanting for the last couple of episodes, which yes. is, of course, I finally got to, around to listening to the, your wonderful coverage of Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. I love that movie. That is such a fucking messed up, beautiful retard of a movie. Isn't it, though? And I think you guys uh, nailed it. You know, although, the one thing that I also responded to that I'm not surprised you, you didn't respond to, um, because of our uh, difference in perspective, if you will, uh, is I always thought Lisa Schrage was hella hot. You know, uh, oh, Mary girl, Lisa, yes, I she think. is. And it's, it, she fascinates me because she's like the, the 80s version of those actresses in the 60s who would show up in like two or three spy movies and then decide she was going to get married and, and just have kids and then disappear off the face of the earth. Yes, I mean, yes. She's appeared in like maybe, I think it's like four or five films, all of them pretty much varying degrees of awful. Oh. Um, hey, Laws, Food of the God Two, uh, a, a Hong Kong directed <laughs> Amsterdam um, set movie called China White. Uh, like it was just kind of like a, a drug running action movie set in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Um, and then like she did these like all these films very brief in a very brief period of time, and then she just disappeared, Oof. and nobody knows what the hell happened to her. But I loved her. I thought she was hella hot, and I I loved just, like, the sheer goofy nuttiness of this film. Absolutely. And how everybody was just kind of off in some world somewhere. But thank you, finally, for covering it. Because you've been teasing me with it for several episodes. It wasn't my fault. It's a bad thing to do. It wasn't. And I regret that we did not run into each other at the uh, red lights screening, because... I wanted to shake your hand and say thank you for giving me so many hours of entertainment. But oh, there you go. Welcome, sir. We'll talk to you later, hopefully. Peace. Mr. Thomas TJ from the Better in the Dark podcast, thank you so much for calling in. And I'm happy that you finally got your Hello, Mary Lou Prom Night 2 episode. And I wasn't teasing you. I wasn't teasing you. There were circumstances beyond my control. And baby, if I was teasing you, you would know it. And I would have had you begging for it. Actually, you did beg me for it, didn't you? You wrote me a note on Facebook and you said, where the fuck is it? Give it to me right now, bitch. And I said, no, I'm not ready. No means no. 
Thomas DJ. No means no. But you know what? That is a really, really biased and closed-minded statement that you made is saying that just because we are from different perspectives, I did not notice that Lisa Schrag is smoking hot. Absolutely. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And that's one of the things I like about her in this movie is that she's smoking hot. She's really, really not a nice girl, yet she doesn't come off as sleazy. She writes her fucking phone number in the goddamn confessional, yet she does not come up as sleazy. I want to know her. I am not repelled by her. I want to hang out with her. I might even want to borrow her clothes. No, I don't. No, I don't. I want to go to the mall with her and make fun of people. I want to go to the mall with her and trick crippled children and nuns and things like that. That's what I want to do with Lisa Strake. And then when we'd walk away and you know, we'd say something really funny, we'd be like, Hey, Lisa, look at the shoes on that fat pig over there. And she'd go, ah And then we'd both look at each other and go, Dan, 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 Dan. Okay, I just went off on the deep end. And if you don't know Sorority Girls from Hell, you didn't get that joke at all. And if you don't know Sorority Girls from Hell, I don't really want to know you. Okay? Go YouTube it. Isn't that right, other new friend DJ? Not Thomas DJ, DJ DJ. DJ I just exposed to sorority girls from hell because it, my, it is my litmus test for how cool of a person you are and if I'm going to continue to have any correspondence with you at all. So if you watch it and you don't like it, leave. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, locker. Why do I have locker written down? I don't know. You must have said something about a locker. But whatever you said about a locker, clearly I agree with you so completely that I don't remember what I went to say about it. But yeah, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you at Red Lights either. But hey, if we're going to the same screenings, it's only a matter of time before our paths shall cross. It was just not in the stars. And actually, uh, if you want to know where Lisa Schrag went, I'll look inside that trunk. I'm just saying. Bye. Hey Patrick, it's Justin from the UK. Hey um, Justin, I hope you're hanging well. Uh, uh, to the yeah, left. I just wanted to phone off and say uh, thank you for the Friday Thirteenth um, episode. Oh, you're very It welcome. was um, highly entertaining, and Good. Um, as you quite rightly point out, I think sometimes uh, the the worst movies actually make for the most entertaining podcasts, and I think you did a uh, blinder with the Friday the Thirteenth um, uh, episode. And I, you know, as you know, with my fellow podcasters from the um, Hysteria Continues, I'm the lone voice of reason when it comes to Friday the 13th Part 5. But, I know. Um, I do believe that it jumped the shark uh, with, you know, that... Um, with a vengeance. It, it, just, it just got too silly. Um, uh-huh. And, it, you know, it's not no great surprise that it was made. I think I'm right in saying that the director was um, used to make porno, and I think it kind of... It, it really showed. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. The the other thing, just before I go, a little bit more about Friday the 13th, just in a kind of slightly side kind of thing, but um, mm-hmm. um, when you were talking about how or one of your listeners, or I can't remember if it was you or one of your um, people phoned in, talking about how um, people knew that you were or whoever was gay as, as a kid. And um, I do remember when I came out to my mother and she said, well, I, I kind of guessed. And I sort of said, well, why? And she said, well, ever since when you, we went to see Greece back in 1978 and you went out and asked them some money to buy a John Travolta uh, photo magazine. Uh, and she said she kind of guessed uh, uh, at that moment. So, uh, so wow. John Travolta, you know, Mom's um, always know. I only have you to blame. Um, but just back to Friday 13th, yes. five, it was just, it just made me think, um, not necessarily about the movie, but um, um, when I picked up a copy of it when I was in New York, I think it might was the last. The last time I was in New York was in 2001, mm. and I was there in 1999. And um, 
I I saw a copy of Friday the 13th Part 5 on VHS in the window in the shop on Christopher Street in uh-huh. New York. And uh-huh. uh, we, we were walking past, and there was lots of videos there, and they all seemed to be horror movies, and there was things like Oasis of the Zombies and yeah, Christmas Evil camps. and things like that. And I was on a real, back then, I was on a real kind of bender to try and find um, uh, kind of horror movies on VHS, and I picked up some great big box things when I was in New York. So I went Stop into the shop and I was picking up all these videos and things great. And I got this big pile of, of videos. And um, I went up to the counter, um, including Friday the Think Part 5. And this guy was sitting at the counter looking bored. But he's also giving me a little stink eye and looking at me like a slightly cold, cold lip. Huh. And he's looking at me and I, you know, thinking, well, this might just be a kind of a New York welcome. I don't know. I, you know, I wasn't really sure. And then I just could see through the curtain, this kind of beaded curtain behind him. Um, and on the desk next to him was a dildo, and I was thinking, uh-huh. oh, that's strange. And then I looked through the curtain, and there were more dildos, and there were more um, videos, and they were like, obviously, uh, it was a, a sex shop, a gay sex shop. Yes. But, Patrick, you can tell me this. Um, yes. Are you not allowed to have um, pictures of naked... No! Oh, 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 why? Why, Justin? Why did you go over on this call? Good Lord, everybody's on the edge of their seat because you're talking about dildos and naked people and pornography. Oh, that's so not cool. That is so not cool. I can't even breathe right now. Oh, my God. Okay, well... I can see what you were going to ask is like, what, do we have to hide our pornography here in New York? And the answer is kind of yes. Uh, Mayor Giuliani passed this whole hoo-ha when he was trying to clean up New York for the tourists that uh, if you own a video shop that sells adult adult videos, I'm trying to remember how this works. Like 20, a certain percentage of your stock has to be non-pornographic. And that's what has to be up front. Like the first, the front certain amount of feet of your store has to be dedicated to non-pornographic things if your store is within a certain radius of a school. So let me try this again. If your pornography store is close to a school, you have to put up bullshit videos that are never going to sell in a million years up in the front of said pornography store and then keep all your pornography way in the back so that the children who might happen, happen to be walking by don't see it. And that includes your dildos, too. Because Mayor Giuliani <laughs> brought, it back, brought back the new prudishness of New York City. He took all the smut out, and it's just not as much fun as it used to be. Anyway, what else were we talking about? Yeah, John Travolta magazine. Child, and you must have been young. Because we're about the same age. You were like, what, seven, eight? When you saw it in the movie theater? And your mom knew. Yep, moms always know. It's an amazing thing. I realized I had that whole conversation earlier in that earlier episode about that When I Knew con- concert when I never actually told my When I Knew moment. Now, if you listen to the Drunken Zombie podcast, you've heard this already. If you've heard, in a, heard uh, I think I told it on the Night of Living podcast as well, but it's a brand new day and I'm telling the story a brand new way. I was probably also about seven or eight years old and the kid that lived behind us, Dougie Walfogo, now he was troubled. He was the kid that we were not allowed to play with, which, of course, made him incredibly irresistible. He had stolen an adult magazine from his older brother. Uh, I believe it was Cherie or We, something French, something Trey International like that. And he passed it to me. So I gathered, of course, up everybody from around the blocks. We all 
And we all ran across and we're hiding in the bushes behind this um, work building across the street from me. And we're, we're flipping frantically through the pages to see the secret treasures that were locked inside. Now, a lot of people, this was their first time seeing a naked woman or a naked person or anything of this sort. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it was mine or not. Probably not because I was an advanced child. But here's what happened. We got to the centerfold. I think it opened right to the centerfold. And there was this collective gasp. And then there was this five seconds of silence. And then somebody said, Whoa, look at her booze. Somebody else said, Oh my God, look at her snatch. Somebody else said, Wow, look at her ass. And I said, Oh, look at her shoes. Look at her shoes was what I said when confronted with a nude centerfold girl. In my defense, I was confused because she was completely naked except for a pair of shoes. This puzzled me because I said, in my head, I said, well, why would you take all your clothes? She would have had to have taken her shoes off to get her clothes off, which means she took off her shoes, took off all her clothes, and then put her shoes back on. Why would anybody do that? I was confused. However, that endless silence that that emanated after I said those immortal words, oh, look at her shoes, and the slow head turns, the slow burn turns, and the long, confused stares that I got from the 10, 15 children gathered around me was when I first realized I'm not like them. Something's different. It's not that I knew I was gay. I just knew I was different. That was a big light bulb moment. So thank you. That was my story. I'll expect my Emmy Award anytime soon. I don't know what I'm saying. Justin, I hope you call back because that story was just getting good. God damn you, you fucking Brits. Always pulling out too early. D that didn't come out. You know what? That did come out right. Just deal with it. Deal with it! God. Hey, this is DJ from New Hampshire. Uh, you know, the creepy ginger kid, black widower who's been pestering you on Facebook. Hi, DJ. And, you know, I just wanted to call, say how much I love this fucking podcast. Aww. But also I wanted to give you a couple comments. Uh, one thing I would just like to point out in your video that you posted, uh, Going West or whatever the fuck it was oh, called, gosh, when you were bitching about all the rolling hills and the sun and the crappy weather, that's, that's what it's like where I live. That's oh. all I see. I just, I wanted you to know that that hell on that highway where the weather just didn't even know what it was doing, that's, that's my home. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, yes. with your recent Friday the 13th installment, yes, major piece of shit. Uh-huh. Definitely. But I also have to say, I was pretty much, from, after the second movie, I was, I was pretty much just let down multiple times. <gasps> multiple, multiple, multiple times. I mean, <gasps> the second I saw that they were having... And the reason for Jason coming back in one of the movies was a little girl with psychic powers. Then I just gave up. Because oh. the first movie was kind of like a whodunit, and it was revealed, oh, it was this mother of a child who was lost, and there was no man running around with a hockey mask. And then suddenly we're in a movie where kids have psychic powers. There's a bunch of, there's like a fucking janitor who dresses like Jason and kills people. Yeah. And then he fights Freddy Krueger. Like, and then he goes to space. Yeah. Jason in space. Yeah, the fucking fuck you. But uh, yeah, I'm just I'll figured I'd call, tell you how much I love you and your podcast. Mm -hmm. Walking home from Walmart, where I'm pretty sure I was raped in the movie section. I was violated. What? It was horrible. I was scared. And wait, no, sorry, that was just 
the last Airbender movie. Oh. I must have seen a copy of it somewhere. Kay. Oh, well. Anyway, have a good one. Bye. Yeah. DJ, 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 poor innocent DJ. Now, don't think for a minute that just because we're talking on Facebook that I'm not going to point out the fact that you're a first-time caller! Yay! Okay, my, you know, I don't think you ever tell me you were gendered before, you little bastard. You dirty, dirty little thing, you. Where to even start with your call? I feel really bad. Now, first of all, that you actually watched those Scream Queens Goes West videos, all of them, apparently. And, you know, that you're stuck with that kind of weather and rolling hills. And my advice to you would be fucking move and stop whining. God! Now, the other thing you brought up was the Friday the 13th series. You know, in, in a way, you're absolutely right that I didn't do this. After a certain point, they are completely ridiculous. And I thought the same way about the first one. When I first saw it, I, I was expecting a whodunit. It's really not, because there's no way of knowing who it would be. But I understand. I understand your, 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 your trauma with it. And my advice to you in that situation would be to get the fuck over it. Grow a sense of humor. Watch it with more queens. You need to have more gay friends to watch these movies with. Because I gotta tell you, child, Friday the 13th Part 7, Jason Meets Carrie, is gay heaven. First of all, a good number of the cast and crew were openly gay. So it's often referred to as Friday the 13th. Ha ha. And, um... Oh my god, it's so camp. It's so gay camp. Not summer camp, but gay camp. Does it make any sense? No. No, it doesn't. Is it good? No. Is it fun? Yes. Unlike a lot of the other pieces in the series. But, um, I feel your pain. Since you brought up part five. Okay. Roy, the janitor, the killer. He's just a dude. He's just a dude. He's just an ambulance driver. Why is he superhuman? Why can he take chainsaw hits and machete hits and get run over and just get back up like nothing happened? Because he ain't Jason. You might be wearing a ball cap and a hockey mask, but that just makes you like a mutant playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That don't make you Jason. I don't know why I'm talking like this because I'm trying – I'm doing – you can't see it, but I'm doing like the, the chicken head ghetto neck waggle. But I'm coming out with this hillbilly voice. But I guess that's embracing your Walmart portion of the conversation. And I, I was going to say that you, you getting raped in the, in the aisle of Walmart, the DVD aisle, um, that wasn't me today. Just so you know, I was raping in Target today for the record. The security cameras clearly, clearly show me bending people over. The door of the Explorer display. I gave her something to explore. Oh, yeah, snap sizzle. DJ, thank you for calling. Stop your bitching, though. If you're going to call, be sunshiny like me. God damn it. There's so much to live for. Now, fuck off. I love you. Hey, Patrick, it's Tommy from Toronto. Ooh, hi, Tommy. First-time caller and calling on my birthday. Yeah! I thought I would call and give you a couple reviews of films that I saw recently at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival summer Ooh. screening. I'm all ears. Uh, the first one was called One of the Dead, which when I first heard about it, I thought, great, just uh, you know, another cheap zombie ripoff. The only thing interesting in it would be you know, it's set in Cuba. But it is so well done. Okay. And that fact actually won the Audience Choice Award for Best Film. Cool. It's um, 
Uh, you get great Cuban locations, and it really takes advantage of Cuban society uh, because first they think the zombies are just American infiltrators, you know, trying to disrupt their society, and then yeah. they don't know what they are, and they don't—they've never seen zombies before, sure. so they think maybe they're werewolves or vampires. They don't know how to kill them, and then when they figure out what to do, they do what most apparently uh, Cubans do and turn it into a business. So I would really recommend that one. Great okay. writing, great acting. And the other one I saw was called Detention, which from the trailer looked like just a big mishmash of, you know, being a horror comedy set in a high school. And it looked um, like something I'd seen a million times before. But it was, again, so well written, so well acted. I mean, it had everything in it. It had high school kids and slashers, aliens and time travel, bears and blowjobs. It was what? all over the place, but it totally worked. What? And I would recommend both of those films. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to mention is a few episodes ago, you mentioned a story about knocking someone's toupee off by accident. Uh-huh. And you said if that was a movie, that he'd eventually end up stalking and killing you and all your friends. Oh, absolutely. You realize, of course, in that movie, you'd be that one bitch. Love you, Patrick. Bye. <sighs> no, you didn't. Oh, no, you did not. Listen, mister, just because it's your birthday does not mean you get to just throw me under the bus. No, you did not. Oh, my God. Tommy from Toronto, thank you so much for calling. Um, If you haven't been following on the Screamers fan page on Facebook, you might not know that ever since Tommy showed up, he's turned me into a dirty old man. Everything out of my mouth, or should I say fingers, has been completely lecherous towards Tommy because he he just is stubbornly refusing, stubbornly insisting on being heterosexual. And it's just a waste. That's all I'm saying. It's just a waste. Anyway, he's turned me into a complete pervert and... But I get conflicting messages from you, Tommy, because, you know, one, you're like, oh, I'm heterosexual. But then you give me all that money for my pussy. Because my pussy's so much better now. Thank you. You helped my pussy so much. And by that, I mean Tommy gave me a donation when Sebastian was in the hospital, which was very sweet of him. But my pussy was really much more appreciative than Sebastian was. And now, see, I'm doing it again. What is this effect you have on me, Tommy? I'm not like this in day-to-day life. Shut up, Bradford. Don't you say a word. That's right. Anyway, uh, what are we talking about? Yeah, thank you for the two recommendations. I had not heard of Wanda the Dead. As soon as you said the title, my eyes rolled back in my head. And uh, apparently, it was um, I was jumping the gun there. But Detention, coincidentally, I just saw listed on Netflix as coming up soon. And I put it in my queue for when it comes out. Bumped it right up to the top because it sounded amazing. And now you told me that I was right. Because, well, then again, I don't need to be told that because I'm always right. And I'm right about you, Tommy. Just you wait. Only difference between straight and gay is a six-pack and a bottle of poppers. Thank you. I think Albert Einstein said that. I'm just kidding. I'm just funning you, Tommy. No, I'm not. I'm really not. <laughs> Shut up, Bradford. You're ruining it. <laughs> this, what's happening? We have degenerated into something else entirely, which means, Tommy, you have broken the show. And it is time to wrap this puppy up for another week. Hey, what's going on, Patrick? This is Jeff from California. Hey, Jeff. Uh, you might know me as Skewerhead79 on Twitter. I do. Every once in a while. Told you I would call. I got off my ass and did it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, first time calling, too. I make it quick. Love the show. Love the reviews. Aww. Trying to watch all the movies you recommend. 
Yeah, good luck with that. I know even some of the ones you don't recommend, but I'm a glutton for punishment. What the fuck do you expect? <laughs> well. Uh, anyway, keep doing what you're doing. Congratulations on two-year anniversary. Time flies. And, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep listening as long as you keep putting this shit out. Bye. Well, Jeff, even though I'm glad that you finally got off your, you know, what you said and finally called the show, I don't know what kind of show you think you're calling. You know, I don't appreciate that kind of language, that kind of brusqueness, that kind of rude, snippy tone. I don't like that. The profanity, the profanity, Jeff, that's just wrong. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, you fucking piece of shit. Nah, I loved every second of it. Thanks for finally calling in, Jeff. Good luck with those movies, and, you know, uh, don't come crying to me. When you rip your own eyes out watching some piece of crap, I told you not to. Okay? Okay. Hey, Patrick. Um, it's Justin again. Oh, look who and, it is. And, uh, yeah, apologies for leaving you hanging. Uh-huh. Hanging, even. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I've Dang had a couple one. of drinks, as you might be able to tell. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Lush. the last time I phoned, we couldn't get... Well, I got through, but I got rudely cut off. And basically, it was an anecdote about New York, your hometown, city, whatever. Uh, And it was about dildos and horror videos and men with stink eye. And essentially, what it was, was that um, I think I was buying up the horror collection in a porno store on Christopher Street in New Uh York. And so my question was... um, is that right? Did I just dream this, or did I actually um, basically buy up the uh, the decoy horror videos in a porno store? And was that some special thing in New York? I've um, already answered this. But anyway, before I embarrass myself anymore or get cut off, cut off even again, then I think I should uh, sign off. So I do apologize to, um, to everyone for my uh, drunken call. Um, to Mother Teresa, Jesus, my mother, my grandmother, and Joan Crawford. So I will sign off now, and I will probably go and sleep off. Anyway, uh, great show as always, Patrick, and um, yeah, look forward to more. So take care, and um, yeah, all right, bye. Okay, you big drunk, I think I addressed everything that you asked me in the first call. So thank you for only babbling on for a minute and 30 seconds in this call, telling the exact same story that you told last time, but this time with with considerably less dildos and porn. But more stink eye. I did not address the stink eye. You probably got the stink eye, A, because it's Christopher Street. And about that time, it it was, you know, it was a pretty, it's gay heaven. It's gay mecca. It's the, the, the starting point of the gay revolution. Bitches can be snotty there. Not so much anymore. It's gotten a little ghetto. But, um, yeah, that's probably where you're getting the stink eye. Or because, like you said, you bought the entire fucking collection of things that they have nothing to restock with. Because it's always just a whole bunch of, like, karate films and foreign films that nobody's ever heard of. Or, like, you know, dollar basement things. Nobody ever buys those things, Justin. He probably didn't even know what to charge for them. He's like, I don't have bags for this. What am I doing? I don't know how to do inventory. I have to go buy, I have to go out and buy other shitty movies to put in the window now. Thanks a lot, you limey prick. That's what he would say. That's not what I'm saying, of course, because I know you're not a limey prick. But you're drunk. You're drunk right now, listeners. Does anyone else think he sounds drunk? 
No, you sound exactly the same like you do when you're sober. So I hope physically you're a complete wreck. Is what I'm saying, because your voice is disappointing. No slurring, no tripping, tripping over words. I can't get words out when I'm when I'm dead sober. So, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck you and your British precision and upright. I can't even say precision right. God damn it. And he's also probably giving me the stink eye for actually spending money on Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. There, mystery solved. Thank you. That'll be five cents, please. That was a Lucy reference. Just forget it. Just forget it, God. This is Marilyn DePoto, oh, and Jesus. I am here to give a little bit from the movie Time After Time, oh, boy. starring Mary Steenburgen. I wonder what part it would be. And Malcolm McDowell. Mm. And this is a scene toward the end of the movie. <laughs> See, what did I tell and you, I'll people? Be Mary Steenburgen. Herbert, <laughs> I'm over here. The newspaper was wrong. It was my friend Carol's from work. And that's all I have because I haven't <sighs> seen the movie in a really long time. But that's what sticks in my mind. So uh, enjoy it. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you, Marilyn. And have no fear, Marilyn. You did a very good job with your call. Your call, I swear, it was the best. It was the best, like Dunkin' Donuts coffee. A Robitussin. They're just, they're just the best. Inside joke, y'all. None of you are going to get it. Elena's like, really? I heard that joke 500,000 times that night at dinner. Yeah, well, you just heard it 500,000 and one, lady. All right, for those of you who have absolutely no short-term memory left, you might remember like 20 minutes ago when I was talking to the lovely Elena Anker, I mentioned my friends from Long Island from way back when. He used to make fun of this movie all the time, particularly that particular line. That was who I was talking about. That girl right there. That girl right there who is a first-time caller. Yay. My God, so many first-time callers today. I hate to say it, boys and girls, but I think you wore out my ding-dings. Yep, my ding-dings are raw and sore, and they want to be dunked in in ice and put up for the night. Put up where? I don't know. Uh, Just leave leave my ding-ding alone. Okay, when I'm degenerated to this level of humor, it is time to wrap this puppy up for another week. I would like to thank all you people who called in to make this show even better than it was going to be in the first place. Even though only one of you remembered to wish me happy anniversary. Yeah, that's right. This was the second anniversary show of Scream Queens. I've been doing this for two years and only Jeff from California remembered. But that's okay, I'm not hurt. Actually, I'm really not hurt. You know why? Because almost every single call I got tonight was from a first-time caller. Plus, over on the Facebook pages and in the Screamer fan page group, we've had new members joining just about every day. All of a sudden, the show is exploding, and that makes me really happy. Plus, remember when I set that goal of reaching 30 reviews on the iTunes store before the end of August? Guess what? We're at 31, so yay! Thank you guys, you are the best. So if you want to be like all these cool people who called in for the show, you could do that by calling 917 Oh god, that's my personal phone number. Scratch that. 347-767-3509. Or you could be old-fashioned and write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens with a Z. You can like me on Facebook, you can follow me on Twitter, and you could just rock the boat, but don't tip the boat over. As usual, I have no idea what I'm doing next time, but I would like to say I've been getting a lot of stuff, a lot of recommendations from viewers, uh, listeners rather, plus I've been getting a lot of submissions of movies that you guys have made. 
for me to check out. So I'm hoping to catch up on some of that stuff. And if you want to play along at home, if something all of a sudden pops into my psyche, that's something I have to review right now that's going to be available to you, I will let you know, but only if you're on the Screamers fan page at Facebook. So go on to Facebook and search Screamers with a Z. I'll pop right up. And so will the group. <laughs> so until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, You know, I met H.G. Wales once. Didn't care for him much. Mm-mm. First of all, he smelled like month-old smegma. And he didn't know how to lick a pussy for shit. Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>